0: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
2: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU.
2: This is The Matt
0: Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio.
4: Good morning, friends. Happy Tuesday to you. Dr. Matt here, along with Terry and Becca. The gang is gathered. The news is in. And we're here to deliver it. Today, we'll be talking about the benefits of learning a second language. Revisiting an interview we did a few months ago, you got—I mean—another language makes you think completely differently about life. Uh, yeah, that's T- true. Terry's been doing Pig Latin. Uh, how, actually, that would Jeff? That actually sounds like Jeff. It's something Jeff would do. Yeah, I'd never Pig do Latin. That. My kids all speak some language that I don't understand. And I don't know where it came from. Teenager? I think it's my in-laws. It's my wife's family's language. I don't know. It's something, it's not even teenager, but it's some type of piggish Latinish. ish Hmm. hmm So we'll be talking about the power of the second language, even if it's pig Latin. Also, uh, sad news, President uh, Herbert Walker Bush, 41, in the hospital in intensive care uh, with sepsis.
5: Sepsis. He's blood poisoning. Yeah. They Yesterday I heard that they felt like he was going to recover and he's, his goal is to go on vacation in Maine this summer, but then oh. overnight it turns into sepsis and something more serious.
4: Uh, but I mean, 73 years he was married and then Barbara Bush was laid to rest last week. And I'm sure that just that alone probably takes a toll on somebody thinking,
5: let's, you know, let's yeah. be
4: together. Yeah. Every,
5: everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people I heard moved to the idea like, you know, your wife of that long. Yeah. I mean, they're both, uh, he's, what, 93? 93 years old. So, I mean, young. you're there that, you're together that lot long, and then she's gone, and then what is that, uh, yeah. you know, emotionally, and, and when you're, I guess when you're, that old, maybe physically, when yeah. your emotions take over, maybe the physically it takes a toll on your body. And an infection that uh, they, they knew he wasn't doing well.
4: They weren't sure exactly how he would handle the loss of his wife, but then a physical issue takes over. And I mean, sepsis is it's just pure poison.
5: His office says he is responding to treatments and appears to be recovering. Well, good. Maybe he'll we'll make see. it
4: up to Kenny Bunkport still. There you go. Uh, so that's going on, plus uh, lots of other headlines, Terry. What else should we be focused on today?
5: Senator Rand Paul on Monday completely reversed his position to support CIA Director Mike Pompeo's nomination to become the next Secretary of State. On Twitter, he said, I just finished speaking to the president and spoke to Director Pompeo. Um Hey-o. President Trump believes that the Iraq uh, positions was a mistake. Right, So so, it says he tweeted the conservative senator who has been the Republican holdout against the hawkish Pompeo's nomination. President Trump believes that Iraq was a mistake, that regime change has destabilized the region, region, and that we must end our involvement in Afghanistan. Having received assurances from President Trump and Pompeo that he agrees with the president on these important issues, I have decided to support his nomination to be our next Secretary of State. Apparently Pompeo uh, supported... Iraq and the the uh, regime change that was there and he's like that didn't work you know this but he still supports it you know what I mean don't get
4: us in this again and you promise you won't I promise I promise so then he just
5: flips and then uh, uh, all the Democrats on the panel are like he never walked back any of his comments in front of this body you just got a phone call from somebody else the president obviously with somebody else saying that his opinion has changed Wow. And so he changed. So they were, they were really confused. is sweet? Yes. Balls, uh, so with his vote, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee uh, reported Pompeo's nomination favorably to the Senate floor. Later Monday, a party line vote is expected later this week. And with three Democrats already pledging their support, Pompeo will likely face an easy confirmation. There you go. Problem solved. Uh, Travis Rinking, the man accused of killing four people at a Waffle House in Tennessee, has been captured after a day-long manhunt. Uh National police announced he uh, ranking twenty nine captured less than a mile from the restaurant where he allegedly opened fire oh, Wow really uh so not much of a man hunt he was yeah, within a mile he actually the they said he left the waffle house, went to his apartment, put on some clothes. Remember that was an yeah. issue and then he ran into the forest uh, the woods area behind his apartment and just kind of hung out. Oh, wow. He had a backpack with a gun in it, I believe, is how they found him. So uh, one detective drew his weapon. He laid down, and they arrested him, and he immediately requested a lawyer. So... That's Came what that's on there, with. yeah, lawyered up now. Americans overwhelmingly believe teachers don't make enough money and half say they support higher paying higher taxes to give educators a raise. The findings of a new Associated Press, NORC, uh, Center for Public Affairs Research poll comes amid recent teacher strikes and other protests over low pay, tough classroom conditions, and the amount of money allotted to public schools. In 2016-2017, the average salary for a public school teacher was $58,000, down slightly from the previous year, according to the National Center for Education Statistics. Overall, seventy-eight percent of Americans say that it's not enough. Just fifteen percent uh, think teachers are paid the right amount, while six percent think they're paid too much. Six wow. percent, yeah, yeah. In a twenty ten AP Stanford poll, fifty-seven percent of Americans said they thought teachers were paid too little. So in twenty ten, it was fifty-seven, and now they do this the poll, and it's seventy-eight percent. So it's gone. Just
4: up. I, all you have to do is go. Substitute for a class, oh, yeah. and you realize these teachers are like completely underpaid.
5: Nearly nine in ten Democrats, seventy-eight percent of Independents, and sixty-six percent of Republicans thinks teacher salaries are too low. Hmm. So okay. we at my boys' school, there's te- there's a, a teacher helping my son with a math class. Just after class, a bunch of kids come in. There's like probably like fifteen kids, and she's doing it on her own time. Wow. So That's there, amazing. So, there's rules. Like, I need you to pick up your kid on time. I can't sit here for a half hour waiting for you to decide yeah. to pick your kid up and things like that. And your kid needs to participate. Yeah. But it's all on her time.
0: Well, a lot it's of amazing. teachers are buying yeah. their own classroom supplies. Oh,
5: right. It's
4: amazing what they're doing. So, well, you know, and it sounds like if
5: we need to respond or strikes happen. Like right. We've heard. Right. So, and, well, there's also the drive people want lower taxes. Yeah. Right across the board, people will say, lower my taxes. And people get voted in because they make those promises. So when yeah. they follow through with that, the only thing you can do is lower public sector pay. Right. Or, or you know, make sure no one gets a raise. And then yeah. that, or know, those people have to live too. manage the other funds better. Or, some, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Get money from
4: somewhere else, but manage differently.
5: And so it's complicated to try to balance it all, but the teachers are the ones that seem to be on the short end. Yeah. So, uh, where do you think is the best place to see a UFO, Matt? Uh, I'd say in outer space. Outer space is probably be the best place. Well, <laughs> what state do you think?
4: Oh boy! Well, obviously New Mexico, because of the whole Roswell. That's where the UFO museums are. Right. So you know, that's a big draw for a lot of out of uh, galaxy people.
5: <laughs> they're going to come. Drop just want to by. stop by. Yeah. Okay. There, cool. I would also say near Vegas. So, according to this poll, the uh, ten states where you're most likely to see a UFO, according to this research, uh, in descending order. So, the number one place, yeah, Wyoming. Really? Apparently, Wyoming, Vermont, Montana, North Dakota, Alaska, Hawaii, New Mexico, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, and Maine. Those are the top ten places in descending order. Really? To see a UFO in the United States, it sounds like a lot of these are the the lower populated states. This is based on population. Divided by reported UFO well, events. Well, this is amazing because you would think you'd see more of them in New York because there's more population there. That's why they did the, you take the reported events by population and you get a number yeah. that shows. But there's a lot more in Wyoming. Apparently. Which I didn't know. It's a hotbed for UFO activity. Or testing of military equipment. <laughs> The 10 states where you're least likely to see one is Florida, Texas, New York, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Arizona, uh, New Jersey, Michigan, and Maryland.
4: Yeah, the more populated.
5: Yeah, hmm. basically. <laughs> Interesting. In total, there have been what uh, 259,691 UFO sightings in the U.S. over the years. doesn't say how long. This yeah. is years. Uh, prompting more than 40,000 Americans to take out insurance against being abducted by aliens.
4: Forty thousand people have that insurance
5: yeah don't know if the rates are like i think but... they're getting scammed
4: um that's interesting But still most people don't have flood insurance no i'd get flood insurance it's probably a bigger or, deal
5: or if your house is up in the trees maybe something against a wildfire, yeah, wildfire or something. Insurance. but no ufo we but
4: um that's interesting so wow I didn't
5: know you could get insured for that. I'm not sure who's offering this insurance, but... Uh, and what it,
6: kind of damages, like, what do you get from that kind of insurance? How do
5: you collect? Well, it's not
4: comfortable to be abducted by aliens. Yeah.
6: Are you speaking from personal experience, Matt?
5: Kind of. It's a family thing. I know people. How do you prove it? Because oh. you'd have to prove the abduction to get uh, yeah, the insurance, the, right? there's burn marks. Okay. Uh, spring and summer are typically the most common seasons for seeing a UFO. This really? could be because you know people are outdoors looking uh-huh. up in the sky.
4: Well, and that's when, that's when the the well, aliens are coming. Think about it though. If you were an alien coming right? from another galaxy, wouldn't you want to go? You wouldn't want to go to the most populated area. You don't no. want to be like a freak show. Well, you don't want to go where everyone else is. You want no. to go and have your own experience. Interestingly, a lot of those places that you mentioned have national parks. Too. They do.
0: And People you wouldn't want to go in winter. I mean, you're making no, the trip. Right.
4: You, I mean, you're here. You've you got to go during you,
0: vacation season. Right, and
4: you've got to go when the kids are off school, the little aliens. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd want to go to Maine. That's a great place. Alaska, for yeah, sure. sure. I was just in Wyoming. It's beautiful. And apparently, Montana. you know, full of UFOs. This is a big deal. I've never seen a UFO, but I have seen Santa Claus, signs of Santa Claus mm. on our roof. Okay. Where he landed, and reindeer feet, where he landed on my roof. So, you know, I mean, I've seen some pretty amazing things. Okay. Well, 48
5: years. The more you know. 48 years, yeah. You're trying to guess your age now? Yeah, I always forget. (laughs) Um.
4: I I always think I'm 47, but my wife keeps telling me I'm 48, soon to be 49. Mm. But.
5: My wife forgets her age, too. I remind her
4: often. The weird thing is you could actually just do the math and figure it out. Or I can just look at my driver's license. Anyway, we'll get all uh, we'll get we'll get you know, more information on those uh, aliens and see you know if we can get someone on the show that's been abducted. That'd be great. Uh, but up next, we're going to be talking about the benefits of learning a second language. How does it change your mind, the way you think, the way you approach other people? Interesting stuff straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Less than 1% of American adults today are proficient in a foreign language that they studied in a U.S. classroom. With that in mind, Professor Amy Thompson sees that there are benefits that make learning a second language worthwhile, and she joined us not long ago to instruct us. I began the interview by asking Amy Thompson to talk about the findings from her research and if learning a language does increase our tolerance toward others.
0: Well, yes, I mean... um There's different ways to look at the idea of improving tolerance, and a couple of different ways. One is an increased tolerance of cross-cultural understanding, and the other one, which is really more focused on research that I do, is an increased tolerance of ambiguity, which means the ability to interact with people or situations when you may not know exactly what's going on.
4: Hmm. And, I mean, part of that is, it seems like to get into another language, you... I guess it's one thing to learn the language. It's another thing to get into the culture and learn the language in the culture. Is is there a difference between learning it, you know, in, in, a, in a classroom um, from a teacher, you know, in the United States learning Spanish in the United States versus actually being in the community, being in Argentina or South America or somewhere?
0: Uh, yes, uh, there's definitely a difference. And even there's different terms for those types of language learning. So the type of Language learning that you might do in a classroom is called instructed language learning and the type of language learning where you might just say, hey, I'm going to learn Spanish. I'm going to go to Costa Rica and pack a suitcase and you just you know, start living with a host family or some friends you find online or something like this is called um, – nat- more it's a naturalistic approach or naturalistic language learning. And I think probably for – there's pluses and minuses to both of those. And I think that some people are more, do better in a, in a classroom instructed learning situation, and some people do better in a more naturalistic uh, approach or a more naturalistic setting. Um, basically, if, if the language instruction in the classroom is done well, it should sort of mirror, though, this naturalistic approach in the sense that maybe a lot of you guys listening, and, you know, I know when I was first learning languages, Uh, In junior high, I, you know, learning French meant memorizing verb charts, right? Right. Language learning really isn't supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be more, um, how can I effectively communicate? Oh, if I make a mistake in grammar, that's fine. Am I getting my message across? That's the important thing. And so if language teachers in classrooms are doing their job, they're more or less preparing students to, you know, go abroad or, you know, interact with people in their, um, you know, speech communities at home that do speak these other languages.
4: Mm. It's um, – I I learned Spanish, lived abroad for two years and used my Spanish and then I hadn't used it for years. But the other night I started watching a Netflix series where they speak Spanish and was – I was using subtitles. And I noticed mm-hmm. the longer I got into it, the more I could just naturally go back to my second language. I could – I no longer even needed the subtitles. I could just listen and I was getting it. So is it mm-hmm. is because I, I, part of what – one of the points you bring out is that being bilingual helps us filter out distractions. Is it just that mm-hmm. it's using our brain differently? Is it using more of our brain? What is it doing?
0: It is – well, you know, learning your, your first language or your L1 is stored and processed in one part of your brain and your second language – is not that it's an entirely different process, an entirely different part of your brain, but it does use, you know, different aspects of your cognitive abilities. And in the sense, the phenomenon that you were just describing where you haven't used your second language maybe in a while, but then you, you know, hear someone speaking or maybe you visit a country that you haven't visited in a while and it takes you, you know, maybe 30 minutes or so to get, quote, you know, warmed up Mm -hmm. or your cognitive juices flowing in the second language and then you find that a lot of the language which you thought you've forgotten is resurfacing and you're able to process it again and use it with um, I guess relative ease than you thought maybe 30 minutes before and so this is a phenomenon that many people that you know realize uh, when they haven't used the language in quite a while and then they are exposed to it again in a kind of an intense situation and they realize that oh actually I didn't forget everything I'm able to Still communicate and you know process it, which is one reason why learning um, a lot of my research involves you know multilingualism. So not just learning one foreign language, but learning a, a second foreign language. And um, my findings really strongly point to the fact that once you've learned your first foreign language, learning the subsequent ones are actually much easier.
5: Really,
4: it, does it matter if it's like a Latin-based language versus going to Chinese? I mean, it it, not at all. It doesn't no. matter at all. Mm-hmm.
0: It's, you know, and it's interesting, and a lot of people have that that idea that, oh, well, of course, if you learn French, learning Spanish is going to be easy because right. they're both, you know, Latin-based languages, and the structure is similar, and, you know, so on and so forth. But in um, a lot of my research I've done, of, I do a lot of quantitative research, which means I collect, you know, data from hundreds of participants and use numbers, but I also do, you know, open-ended questions, which participants can write a few sentences about, you know, a certain topic that I ask, or I do sometimes interviews, right? kind of get deeper into some of the topics that I found interesting in the, in the quantitative results. And the first time I discovered this, I was doing uh, research in Brazil, and this was back in 2008. It was for my dissertation research. And one of my participants, I was interviewing her and she said, well, of course, learning English is easy for me because I already speak Japanese. Oh, wow. And I thought,
6: oh,
0: (laughs) okay, there's something here. There's something to this you know, this processing effect. And, you know, the same thing, I'm, you know, starting to learn Turkish. My Turkish is okay. I can, you know, talk about food and clothes mostly. Um, Well, the things that are important. Well, well, I know, things to get around. Right. right? So when I'm there, I can, you know, call a taxi and ask him what he had for lunch, and it's a great conversation. Um, But I'm finding that a lot of the previous language learning experiences that I've had are explicitly helping me with my Turkish knowledge in terms of pattern finding and, you know, jumping to conclusions, hypothesis testing. I see relations in vocabulary that maybe aren't evident, and people with different language backgrounds may not have the same types of, you know, inferences that I would make. But, you know, so really, to answer your question, it doesn't matter what the subsequent language is Um, for most people. And some people don't see a connection or a perceived, you know, positive interaction with previous language they've studied and they don't think it helps them. And if they don't think it helps them, then, of course, it doesn't. So you have to be willing to be open and see this connection.
4: Uh, Is is, which comes first, the learning of the language uh, or because one of the things I read um, in your article was about uh, we become more creative by doing it. We we might Mm -hmm. be a more risk taking. So are we more a risk taker anyway? And that's what drives us to want to learn languages. Or are we more learning languages and that makes us risk takers?
0: You know, it's interesting that it, it's hard to determine causal effects with, you know, a lot of aspects of uh, applied linguistics research. And I would say that, well, first of all, a lot of people are required to take language, right, right. in school. And so the ones that perhaps continue it long term are the ones who have enjoyed the experience. But I don't think it necessarily has to do with their personality traits, Per se, but also about interaction with their classmates, their colleagues, the instructor, the materials used, how positive of an experience it is and whether they're, you know, inclined to continue has a lot more to do than just their personality. I will also say that personality characteristics, we're finding out more and more that these types of characteristics, which we once thought were innate, like language aptitude Mm -hmm. or even, you know, IQ and these types of things, there's sort of a baseline I guess starting point for everyone but then those features are really quite dynamic and they change a lot based on the context and the situation Um, so if one maybe is more creative to begin with a little bit more than another classmate if that person has an awful language learning experience or for example has a very high level of anxiety which isn't mitigated by the instructor and that person might stop, even though the person might have had, you know, a higher level of creativity or, you know, tolerance for ambiguous situations to begin with than his or her classmates. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, totally. I mean, I when I was learning Spanish. Um, I I don't have anxiety, but I'm pretty highly sensitive. So I actually Mm -hmm. I get feedback from people and I'm very adept at receiving feedback. And I remember when I would speak and I would notice that they noticed that I was kind of new at it. um, Mm -hmm. It actually shut me down because I'm like, oh, Uh boy, they're noticing how not how I'm not a very good communicator here. And so it it seems like if you didn't have that barrier, (laughs) Um, Uh of knowing how effective you are or ineffective, you might just, you know, wing it, say more, speak more.
0: Sure. And that has a lot to do with um, the kind of the second theme in the article I talked about, which is the tolerance of ambiguity. Right. Right. So, I mean, language learning as adults, it's it's a difficult thing to do because we're used to to being able to express ourselves intelligently, right? I mean, you know, if your English is your first language, you can have conversations about any topic you want, essentially, that you know something about, like religion or politics or, you know, the weather or whatever you want to talk about. But when you're starting to learn a second language, a lot of older learners get very discouraged because they have all these great thoughts that they want to express either in the classroom or outside of the classroom, and they don't have the words. Mm. And so, and, and as you just said, in your experience, people might notice, oh, you're just learning or yeah. you know, so on and so forth, which you know maybe makes them a little bit nervous or makes them want, kind of want to shut down. But I think the key is to just forge on right ahead and not be worried about, oh, I didn't understand that, so I'm going to freeze. Or, oh, someone noticed that my accent is different, mm-hmm. so I just shouldn't try anymore. You know these types of things, yeah, because shut
4: and not things, shut down,
0: things, right? Exactly. Those things don't matter. I mean, the way your, your accent doesn't matter. I know there's a kind of a big uh, misperception that oh, if I just study really hard, I'm going to sound like a quote native speaker of mm-hmm. the target language. Which you know, as an adult, is I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's a goal that shouldn't be the main goal of a language learner. So, um, adequate communication, effective communication, interacting with the target language and the target culture really should be the main goals and just, you know, advice to any people, you know, struggling with learning a second language out there or a foreign language, just keep doing it. Keep putting yourself in situations where you have to use the language and then eventually it's going to come easier and easier and you're going to become more and more successful. You,
4: you mention a lot, the phrase tolerance of ambiguity. Uh-huh. Um, so explain to just the lay listener that I mean, you've already mentioned it and given us ideas. What are some more ways that having a tolerance of ambiguity is beneficial to society? Because we live in a society where it seems like a lot of people argue opinions as if they're facts. Uh-huh. And, um, and it's creating a lot of tension in our culture right now.
0: Well, sure. And I mean, a tolerance of ambiguity, it's actually that the two topics that I wrote about in this, how language learning improves tolerance article are related. So tolerance of ambiguity also relates to tolerance of accepting and trying to understand people from different cultural backgrounds, right? Or even with different political ideologies or different religions or, you know, the list could go on and on. Just tolerating the quote in, in, in applied linguistics, there's a term, you know, the other, which means just, someone who may be different from you. Right. Um, and so the idea of, I'll use a very simple, you know, example. So conversation styles, if you're, you know, if you're used to kind of the more English American conversation style, you're sitting around talking and you politely wait till the person finishes. And then you insert your opinion and it kind of goes around in a nice, you know, turn taking calm conversation style. Right. And so I vividly remember, um, I did a study abroad program in France when I was in college, and I went to stay with some friends a couple of weeks, some French friends a couple of weeks before my program started. And at the dinner table for the first week, I just, I was scared to say anything because it (laughs) appeared that people were shouting at each other all the time. And really... It took me about a week to realize that that was just a normal kind of conversation style. And then I was able to then insert myself and jump in and, you know, disagree vehemently with what someone was saying and, you know, so on and so forth. So just the act of saying, oh, that's not – people aren't being rude by interrupting. That's just their cultural background and conversation style. And that's, you know, that's a simple example. But there are many, many like that. Um,
4: Well, and it it broadens your mind like now. I mean, and this is – that was just France. I mean, let's not even talk about now Turkey and you're learning Turkish and let alone every other culture that we don't understand. So it almost creates a space, I guess, ambiguity of learning in my world of communication theory. It just creates a space, a learning, a space where you allow things to keep floating while you make sense of them.
0: Yeah, sure. And I mean, you're not, you know, I think I mentioned in my article when you're talking to someone, you're not going to be able to stop them and say, hang on i don't know that word yeah look it up let me process it you have to just kind of make an intuitive guess and keep going and sometimes you guess wrong and sometimes you guess right but you're always going to get feedback from your the person you're speaking to or in applied linguistics you call that your interlocutor so you're going to get feedback from this person whether your guess was right or wrong so if you kind of guess in one way and go in a direction you have to be able to also watch for cues to that person, you know, maybe furrows their eyebrows to say, "Oops, I I don't really know where you're going with this." And then you think, "Oh, maybe it meant this other thing that it could have possibly meant." Yeah. And you kind of bring the conversation back to a, a different direction, and so it's it's exhausting, right? Um, I know that I don't know if you experienced this when oh. you were living abroad for the first time, but man, the first time I was abroad, I slept more than I yep. ever thought was possible because you know my mind was processing. 100% of the time when I was awake, so I just needed a lot more sleep.
4: Yeah, I had a headache every night.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And I remember thinking, when yeah. is this going to end? And I remember going to bed. I, in my head, I would be translating nonstop. And mm-hmm. then you reach this moment where I remember dreaming in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I think I've reached the moment. Or when the headaches go away and now all of a sudden you're just getting it. You are in tune. You're dialed mm-hmm. in. And you don't have to translate in your head, but then a a word would come up, and you'd write the word down. I got to remember that one. What was that?
0: Sure, it's cool. Absolutely, it's
4: really neat. Um, What would you? So, just as a parent, we've got about a minute left. What? Mm -hmm. What would you? How would you? You know, engage your kids to be more excited about learning a language.
0: Well, you know, I think um, I'll give you an example of what my husband tells me about his process of learning English when he was younger. Um, he loved it. He, you know, he grew up in Turkey and of course, you know, Turkish is his first language. Mm. And, but he did Saturday classes of English learning and he said it was like the best day of his week. And he, he talked a lot about the language teacher that he had where the, the teacher didn't, you know, didn't have a stressful environment, encouraged students to speak, did games and songs. He said, looking back, he doesn't remember it as a class, mm. but then he realized he learned. So I think the key is to keep it fun, especially at a very young age, right? Because kids yeah. need to play, they need to interact, they need to have fun and giggle and, you know, laugh and, you know, do these things that kids are supposed to do. They're not supposed to, you know, on after school or on Saturdays sit at a desk and, like, write verbs. I mean, that's not, yeah. you know, the Conjugate,
4: way Conjugate. Yeah, oh, I hated right.
0: that. You know, verb charts. I mean, that's I think we all have negative flashbacks to those situations, which are important in the verbs, but not maybe in verb charts. But anyway, I guess keep it fun and keep it light and, you know, keep, you know, maybe focusing on the cultural aspects and the music and the art and the food and, you know, these types of things to really not just get kids, but to get all people kind of interested um, to know what learning A second or foreign language can do for them Once they're out of a classroom setting
4: Love it, and get immersed, get into it Uh, Professor Amy Thompson, thank you again for joining us We so appreciate your insight Uh, Amy Thompson is Associate Professor of Linguistics At the University of South Florida And uh, wrote a wonderful article That we'll be putting up on our uh, Twitter page How Learning a New Language Improves Tolerance Great learning for all of us Stick with us folks, we'll take a break We'll be right back, this is the Matt Townsend Show
5: Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome
4: back. Uh, as Amy Thompson was talking about the importance of um, learning a second language, it is interesting. I, I have friends that both speak Spanish or uh, other languages, and they they make it a habit in their family to, to use those languages more. And it, they, they actually do it as a way to to bring themselves together because they both speak Spanish. So why not speak more Spanish and then keep your language alive? It's something that you can do together. It actually uh, seems to energize their relationships a little bit. And I realized that whatever it is, um, you can make anything a hobby or, uh, you know, a learning opportunity. My father-in-law learned Spanish just on the side. He was a doctor, a cardiologist, and for fun he wanted to learn Spanish. So he would have uh, anybody that spoke Spanish in his um uh, when he was doing his procedures, he would make them speak Spanish to him and every day on the drive in he'd listen to Spanish um recordings and try to learn how to do it and now he's fluent in Spanish. Like come on he made did it as a hobby there really are a lot of things that we could probably try to do with our significant other our loved ones where we we actually can find more ways to connect find more ways to be together on a hobby find more ways to be together whether it's language or whether it's just you know getting out and uh, enjoying tennis or riding bikes or whatever you like to do together but um, one of the things I, I hear a lot from my clients are, you know, they fall out of love. It's just not easy to keep the fire alive and the flame burning. And um, I, I, I'm i like, yeah, well, sure. Passion, you know, you want passion in your marriage, but passion takes energy and you've got to somehow engage energy in your marriage. If you want more passion and connection, you're going to have to exert more energy. Oh, see, yes, I don't have time for that. I kind of just want to take a pill that I just uh, gives us passion. But uh, many marriages are, are really starving because we don't exert the energy we need, just like we don't exert the energy that it takes to, to make um, something like learning a language takes energy. I, I learned a language and I'm still not focusing on it or, or giving it any energy. And when you don't give something energy, it fades. You start to lose it. And so I would just challenge all of us if you want to make things important to you, you're going to have to give it some energy. We always talk about just giving it time, and time is great, but it also is going to take energy. You're going to have to decide how you know how bad you want something and is it worth the energy you have to, to take. I, in fact, uh, my kids were saying the other day, hey, dad, let's buy a boat. We want a boat. Let's get a boat. And in my head, the whole decision is about energy. (laughs) Because my kids have never, they don't know what it feels like to ski all day and then come off the boat uh, and be done and bring the boat in and then have to spend the next few hours cleaning the boat, you know, and drying the boat and washing the boat and taking care of the boat. They don't know what that's like. But in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's really not even about skiing, you guys. But then others would say, yeah, but that's how you teach your kids to work, right? You teach them to work that. Yeah, but that's just more energy. So um, think about it. What takes your energy and what gives you energy back? And that's probably um, something that we all ought to be looking at. If you want more excitement in life, if you want more connection in marriage and relationships, if you want more um you know learning and growing you're going to have to figure out how to ex- you know energize uh yourself enough to go do something about it also maybe you're going to have to cut down on other things that you're doing at some point you're going to have to say i'm not i can't do that i don't have the bandwidth to keep doing all of these other things but um it also there is benefit in um finding activities where you could like work together as a family and use and conserve all that energy to, for example, be with your family. We play tennis as a family, and that makes it so every time we go do our hobby, we're doing it as a family. And that all of a sudden gives us not only time together, but something that we can share together, something that we enjoy together, and uh, something that brings us a lot of peace. So life is good, and whatever it is you choose to you know, you know, know, excel at or make a hobby or bring into your life, let's do it. That's great. And Manage your energy as you do it and see if you can involve more people into the process. Then all of a sudden your hobbies become something that are additive to your family life instead of something that divides you away from your family. Fun stuff, folks. Trying to do what we can to to stay together as a family during this this, uh, crazy life we're living. This is The Matt Townsend Show helping you uh, live a healthier, happier family life. Kimberly Giles is the president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching. She's a regular guest on our program. And a few months back, she joined us uh, to talk about some strategies for how we can change ourselves and how we can help others change. I began the interview by asking, why is change so hard?
6: Well, I think one of the reasons it's hard is we've gotten in a bad habit to the, to the level that it's literally in our subconscious programming. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's a hard-wired program.
4: We don't and, want We don't want to let it go.
6: Well, yeah. There's, Subconsciously. That, a whole, there's a whole part of you that is behaving that, that bad way for a reason because you think it protects you or you've learned it somewhere and you think it's the right way to behave. So it's kind of like we have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake at the same mm-hmm. time. We want to change, but we don't want to change. And there we stay. And never if you moving. don't
4: change, then that means we should believe that deep down there's a re- there's a reason stopping you.
6: Yeah, usually we're afraid of the change, we're afraid of the commitments and responsibilities that will come if we do change. Mm-hmm. So it just feels safer to stay where we are.
4: Ugh. But it but then too I guess if you stay there long enough and the change was necessary, something's going to break. It is. It might be your partners <laughs> like I'm done.
6: And then the pain has to get so bad that the pain of staying is worse than the fear of changing. Yeah,
4: and then it's like, oh, now I'll change it. How many times have you seen somebody that wouldn't change, wouldn't change, wouldn't change? Finally, one person is done. They're done. And then now that person has all the motivation to change. Now yeah, I'll change. Often what do you It
6: takes want? something that severe to get us moving. But I... I'm sure you see this too. If, if we can work with someone and show them how mm-hmm. to change and that it is doable and it's not as hard as you think and you have some support to get you there, you can do it. But you and I have talked yeah. about how most people wait until things are just <laughs> pretty much destroyed before they seek out some yeah. help to change. They They think they can do it by themselves. A lot of people think it's a sign of weakness to ask for some help. And so but they don't do it. Do I really until need to change?
4: Late. Do I need to change, or should I just force my partner to change so they're adapting to my maladaptive behavior?
6: Well, that's, <laughs> it, that's what we tend option. to do: is we blame,
4: we want everyone else to change to fit us instead of we should change to just yeah. be healthy.
6: Well, and and I think psychologically we would prefer that the problem was with the other person. If we could just change them, that would fix it. (laughs) But the reality is we are on this planet to grow and learn and develop our character. I I mean, I believe life's a classroom. We're here to grow. That means changing.
4: Well, and, and think about it. If not, you would have been like you were when you were 14.
6: Yeah, glad I'm not yeah, who I was when I was 14. You've
4: changed a little bit, right? So how do we do it? What are some of the steps to to change, to actually create change?
6: Okay, well, the first thing is you've got to be consciously aware of what you're doing instead of having it be a subconscious program that's just running. Neuroscientists tell us 95% of the choices we make, we're making subconsciously. Mm-hmm. So that's most of our behavior is driven by subconscious mind and we're not it's even aware happening. of why we're yeah. doing it yeah we're not aware so the first step for everybody is to recognize what's happening and that's one of the reasons we use that fear assessment that's on my website is it's a way to show someone on paper what's happening at the subconscious level and if you want to get a peek inside your head for free you can go to my website and go take the fear the assessment peak, yeah yeah because it, it does show you what's going on and why you're behaving the way you are. Yeah. The first step, we've got to be consciously aware of it. And then we usually are going to have to change our perspective and look at things in a different way. Don't you find oh. with your clients, as soon as we change perspective, it just changes everything.
4: Well, which is why if somebody on the outside will no longer take your ineffectiveness and they change – that creates a major perspective change. Like it forces you into oh, a whole new reality. Oh, the status quo
6: is no longer okay.
4: Which is why sometimes we keep each other in each other's systems. We, I keep you there. You keep me here. We stay there. And together we frustrate.
6: That beautiful dysfunction that's <laughs> keeping, <laughs> that keeping us together.
4: But so as soon as one of us says, I'm done. So I can't influence your perspective change. I mean, Absolutely. I can't make you change. But if you
6: change, mm -hmm. I will automatically have to change in my interactions with you. Um, I also think it's really helpful that we're always learning and and being open to new ideas, reading books, listening to the Matt Townsend show. Every day you get a new perspective
4: because
6: everything that you learn can help you to look at things in a different way. And you
4: could even just look at what you want to be in 20 years and that could create a change. So you can force your own perspective change. By just looking at it differently. How do how, do how do my kids feel when I act this way? How do I want to be when I'm I mean, if you've ever just gone to a funeral of somebody your age, it's a pretty big perspective, perspective
6: change. Perspective change, for sure. So it's
4: funny how life Gives you every chance to do this.
6: Well, and you're a big reader, mm-hmm. like I am. We're always talking about books we've been reading. Yeah. And I find almost every self help book that I read gives me a new perspective on something I didn't see before.
4: Yeah. Exactly. There's
6: so much amazing material out there that we can be growing and sh- shifting all the time. So it's huge. I Change think that's your big.
4: perspective. Our perspective. Okay.
6: And then. A couple little things that I do with my clients when we're trying to get them to change themselves. We challenge them to break out of their comfort zone on as many other levels as they possibly can. Do everything you can different. If you always wear basically the same outfits, Mm -hmm. wear something different. Order something different for lunch. Try new foods. Drive home a different way every day this week. And it I mean it sounds kind of minor because we're talking about all these things outside your life or your relationships, but they've proven psychologically, the more you'll break out of your ruts and just shake yeah. up your life and do things different, it gets your brain more ready to change the way you think and the yeah. way you see the world. So we challenge them to just
4: And it doesn't go matter. outside
6: their comfort zone.
4: Clothes, you're helps. saying it doesn't even just the route you take home doesn't matter. Anything different,
6: anything different that's out of your just stuck routine. Because most of us that are really stuck, yeah, we're not just stuck in that area, we're stuck everywhere. We're just caught in the so same true. way of being. So, if I can get people to just shake it up, eat at restaurants you've never tried, read books you've never read, anything different, it's going to help you to get ready it's to such change. That's
4: great, I and mean, it's so simple.
6: Another thing we recommend our clients do is clean some of the clutter out of their house. The more that you're holding on to all this old stuff in your house, the more you're also holding on to your old way of being. Mm. So we find if we can get you to clean out your closet and get rid of all the old crap you haven't worn in a year and open up some empty space in your house, you're actually opening space for a new way of being. And I like you to... To literally think with every item you're putting in that box, I'm sending this old me out, yeah. and making room for a new me to come in.
4: It's interesting. Who would think that just clutter? But what what about the person whose issue is they keep nothing? <laughs>
6: okay. they, they,
4: they literally have nothing. They keep nothing. They want nothing. They're attached to nothing.
6: Yeah. I actually taught this principle to some of my new coaches the other day, and I have one exactly like that. She says – she travels light. She never wants to own more than what would fit in her car at any moment so she could leave. <laughs> so her her reaction to her fear, instead of holding on to things and having a scarcity mentality, she's having a stay unattached yeah. mentality. And Don't it looks like yeah, it looks like
4: she's so open minded and but she's still afraid.
6: She's totally still afraid. So we all said, we'll pack up our stuff and send it to her. And then her job is to keep it.
4: <laughs> yeah, everybody no, take their kidding. junk and send it to her.
6: <laughs> no, but she's got to recognize that, that it it's okay to hold on to some things. And, and that would actually be a good practice for her. I mean,
4: really. So in her house, she should maybe keep a few more things sure. that she would have to do. Well, deal that with. would
6: be out of her comfort zone. Yeah, exactly. So she'd be stretching and changing a little yeah, bit. totally. Okay, then we also really encourage people to get some outside help. And and we've talked about this so often, you and me, that couples we work with, they don't come in and ask for help until they are on the verge of divorce.
4: Yeah, they're done.
6: And and they've said so many hurtful things. I mean, why do we let it go that long? Yeah,
4: and we're so oh and you're so damaged that even if you could fix it, sometimes it's not worth fixing because you've destroyed each other so bad.
6: Totally. It's hard. So I know you would Echo me in saying this, please, yep. everybody out there. The first sign of mm-hmm. problems, get some outside help. The difference it'll make is just a hundredfold because when you get an expert that knows exactly what they're doing, they can help you fix it so fast oh, and easy. Yeah, aren't most of your couples just shocked yeah, that,
4: that it's this, this is easy easier to fix? Well, isn't it? And maybe get help in a way that's different because how many times have you had somebody that came in and they've been to four counselors or they've been to three counselors? And this, it's the same thing for every one of them. They, yeah, it was all the same. It was all the same. Just the thought that it's always going to be the same. Well, then don't do counseling. <laughs> then go do a ropes do course different. in the middle of Nepal, and or climb a mountain, or do something crazy. Do something different that is so different that there has to be a different. If everything's always the same, it's you. Yeah, it's not your counselors you're well, going to. Well, and don't
6: you find for most people you've got to find the right counselor for you uh-huh. because everybody's so different. The problems yeah. you're having are different, so don't give up if one doesn't work. Right. Definitely keep looking to find. I,
4: I always say and find it until it works, right? So we're not just here to get it off the list. Oh yeah, I've done counseling. You you find a help. You find and seek out help until it works.
6: Absolutely. Don't you find a lot of the most successful people I know that have great relationships, they seek out help all the time, and oh, they yeah. don't even necessarily uh-huh. need it. But they're reading books. They're attending seminars. They're they're growing and learning, and it just m- creates this really rich life.
4: This rich life. That's uh, uh, Kim Giles again from Clarity Point Coaching. Giving us insight, helping us understand about uh, where the true change comes from. And uh, many, many times, if not most of the time, it comes from deep inside of ourselves. If you really want motivation, look inward, not outward. In the long run, that'll uh, carry you the farthest. We'll continue the journey, folks. More straight ahead. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your
3: guide on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter
2: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is
3: the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
6: BYU Radio.
4: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on this program to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. Joined by uh, Terry and Becca, the gang is gathered. They have been uh, pounding, the internet all night long to get the greatest and latest stories, the information you need to know. Just pummeling my computer at home. It was great. <laughs> Your wife's like, can you quit hitting the palm pilot? What's it called? The lap? Uh, what's that little Laptop? device? No, the other iPad? one. iPad? iPad. There you go. Yeah. Sometimes I can't get my
5: brain to work in the morning. And I don't use the iPad. Yeah, that's the missus. It's just not enough features on the iPad to, to function correctly when you're pounding the internet. That's you're right. saying Yeah.
4: Uh lots to cover today. Great news um uh apparently President Bush Sr. Herbert Walker Bush is alert and talking. Okay. But is still in intensive care. With sepsis. Sepsis. Yeah. An infection Ooh. turned to sepsis, which is blood infection blood basically. Blood poisoning
5: basically. Mm-hmm. So they say he's responding to treatment. That's
4: great. I feel bad for him. I, my it's funny, my wife has a really interesting theory she, when people age, my wife has more compassion for an aged, an aged uh, male, hmm. and I seem to have more compassion for an aging female. Huh? She's very compassionate for an aging male. What? Is and that? so I don't know. I think it's just, she just thinks he needs more love. Hmm. So, which is great for me, because I am an aging male. Okay. Not yeah, aging. that works out well. Yeah, everything's turning up, Matt. Yeah. It's, kind of, it's a really good thing. It's a really good thing. So great news with President uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. That, by the way, the funeral was a beautiful funeral, and then you could see how when your wife passes away, you think, you know what, I maybe it's my time to get out of here. Go be with my queen. Yeah. Or maybe you just got an infection. Maybe. Either way. Uh, lots to cover today, too. We're going to be talking about why employees, why, why you don't ask for help from your coworkers. Never show weakness. Like, I don't think you've ever asked me for help.
5: Really? I don't think you've ever asked me for anything. I don't know, but I get a lot of free advice. It's it's kind of strange.
4: Well, that's more for your wife. She calls. (laughs) She won't leave me alone.
5: Uh, I'll tell you about something. You know what you should do? Yeah. You know what you got to do is And then I go, and then I sit down because it's going to be a minute. It's going to be a minute. And I've
4: saved your family, your life, your 401k, Mm. and all those other things.
5: Yeah, it's it's been it's a great situation to be able to come to work and get all of my free like emotional sort of interpersonal sort of relationship issues yeah. just resolved.
4: Well, what I've been doing, though, is I've been actually keeping a tally of how oh. much you owe me. Yeah. yeah. If we go by hour. Yeah. Kind it's a lot of. Yeah. Well, it's, it is. Hmm. But we'll, I'll send you a bill. OK. Well, great. We will be talking about why you don't, why you, Terry, don't ask for help from others or why anybody, why we don't tend to go to our coworkers.
5: Well, normally because when I ask, I'm told there's a document somewhere on the server and I can look (laughs) at the document. Yeah
4: that's we've, fair. We've created a really cool uh, learning tool here at BYU Broadcasting where you a lot of the learning is there.
5: You just got to go yeah. find it. Right. Like, how do you do this? Well, there's this document. You're like, uh, and by the way, okay. af,
4: now after five and a half years, I, I think it's probably time I learn to get on the server. Yes.
5: <laughs> there's a server?
4: Because that's something I haven't been in a big hurry. Sorry, right. well. you haven't missed much. Yeah. Just, I figure you – because know, what I do, I like to just ask you, Yeah. and then you go to the cer- – no, then you go ask someone else, and then they tell you to look at the server. That's the what document. I do. Yeah. That's yeah. what I do. See? Becca knows. It's all about assistance. From Asking now on, I'll Terry ask Becca to ask more... Terry.
0: Oh, there we go. That's perfect. That's the good way
4: to do it. Uh, let's get to the rest of the headlines, Terry.
5: What else should we be paying attention to? The Senate Foreign Relations Committee voted Monday 10 to 9 in favor of Mike Pompeo, the CIA director, to Leo. become the next Secretary of State. So 10 to to nine. Ten to nine. So uh, he's in. So then Ram, he goes to the full floor. Rand Paul from Kentucky first said, "I am completely against this pick. It'll take a lot to uh, get me to change my position." And Trump said that he's that Pompeo has changed his position on one thing, and Rand Paul went, "All right, cool. Oh, okay, done deal." He goes, "Yeah, I think the Iraq War was a bad idea." War Pompeo was saying before he was, you know, thought it was a good idea. Interesting. So you know, they he switched that.
4: So S- somebody board. needs to go figure out what what really
5: made Rand switch. The full Senate will vote later this week. I think it was more Trump stakes. We'll see when Kentucky gets a new highway or something. Yeah, that'll <laughs> work. Republicans and Democrats are again facing off in a special election. If you're bored and you need something to put you to sleep, you can pay attention to Arizona's 8th District today as uh. they uh, work to replace uh, Trent Franks. Who resigned his seat in December. He's a representative there. He resigned his seat and made uh, allegations of sexual misconduct. Oh, yeah. Uh, Democratic victory in Tuesday's special election would come as a major surprise with political observers nearly unanimously in their expectation that the GOP will manage to win. However, mm-hmm. they're showing in the polls that the Democrats are performing rather well for a Democrat in that district. Wow. What if a
4: Democrat snuck that little district?
5: Now, they won't win the district, but they say because later on they have to. Uh, but they're vote. trending? There's a Senate seat coming up uh, later this in November. Yeah, Flakes, right? Flakes Senate seat. And uh, they're concerned that m- maybe the Democrats have a strong showing here, and that energizes Democrats in the state <laughs> and people who aren't necessarily happy or Ooh, whatever. So maybe the Dems are going to make a big move. Now this is the district; it's located uh, Western Phoenix suburbs. It's a uh, haven for retirees, mm-hmm. and it's also home to uh, Maric- It's home of Maricopa County, where you have yeah. uh, Joe By Arpaio. Way, do you know what
4: Maricopa stands for? Means? No. What is it? What is it? You, do you know? Or are you gonna Becca look it knows. Up? I can look it up. Oh, I'm looking it up right now. Oh. I think it means
5: butterfly. Butterfly?
0: I think that's mariposa. The
5: eighth went uh, <laughs> strong Republican for Mitt it's Romney. It's an ugly butterfly. It's like a... It's like Maricopa. A, a Maricopa is an ugly butterfly, like a moth. Right. So, again, concerns that maybe there's a Democratic uprising in Arizona and then needs oh. to be squelched. Maricopa. Maricopa, it's, Indi- it's,
4: it's an Indian people of the Gila River Valley in Arizona. There you go. That's cool.
5: Maricopa. Well, See, now
4: I feel bad. We're trying to help everybody learn
5: as we go along. Okay. Continue. So the Democrat there is running on a, uh, a ticket talking about how Republicans chose to give tax breaks to big companies instead of maybe shoring up Medicare, Medicaid for the yeah. old retirees. Oh, and it boy. seems to be working. <laughs> Talking oh, about healthcare boy. that way, yeah. so we'll see what happens. Uh, Facebook Inc. said it was able to remove a larger amount of content from the Islamic State and Al Qaeda in the first quarter of 2018 by quote actively looking for it. Oh, really? The company you just had to,
4: Facebook just had to look for it.
5: Yeah. Actively. The company has trained its review systems, both human and computer, to seek out posts from terrorist groups. The social network took action on 1.9 million pieces of content from those groups in the first three months of the year, about twice as many as the previous quarter, and 99% of that content wasn't reported first by users. Huh. Usually they wait, the user reports it, then they take it down. Right, right, right. Now they're just looking for it. Well, good for them. It's about... Time. There's a lot of reaction online. Like, really? Now you're just doing what you were telling us you were doing before.
4: They, I guess, they used to. But maybe this makes sense in kind of the evolution of things. Is I, that I guess the yeah. users used to do a lot of the work, and Facebook just made a lot of the money. Now the users do a lot of the work, and Facebook is starting to work.
5: Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube, they have historically put the onus on its users to flag content that its moderators needed to look at. After pressure from governments to recognize its immense power over the spread of terrorist propaganda, Facebook started about a year ago to take more of a direct responsibility and actually go to that search bar at the top yeah, and yeah. actually use that more in a functional way. Oh, like yeah, like terrorists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. You
6: just got to wonder like is this how does this compare to the Things like sharing data or targeted advertising, Cambridge Analytica. They're
5: in trouble. Baby steps. We'll start with beheadings and we'll move on to your private data. YouTube took down more than 8 million videos in three months. Most of these 8 million videos, 76%, were taken down before receiving any views from users. Wow. Oh. they're both kind of doing the same thing. They're just searching their own websites, taking right. down bad things. It's not a bad idea. Amazon has embarked on an ambitious, top-secret plan to build domestic robots, according to people familiar with the plan, Ooh. codenamed uh, v- Vesta V S T A Vesta Vesta Yeah Vesta. So the Roman goddess of hearth, hearth, home, and family. Is kind of their project. The project comes from the division responsible for Amazon devices such as the Echo, Fire TV, Fire tablets, and the ill-fated and huge mistake of a Fire phone. <laughs> uh, people debriefed on the plan say the company hopes to begin seeding the robots in employees' homes by the end of this year and potentially with consumers as early as 2019. Although that timeline could change and the whole program could be scrapped because apparently they do that quite often. It's unclear what task an Amazon robot might perform. People familiar with the project speculate that the robot could be a sort of mobile uh, echo type thing. Yeah, so you just yeah. kind of call out and it will
0: robot. answer you
5: type of thing. Yes, man. Uh, prototypes of the robots have advanced cameras, computer vision software that can navigate through homes like a self-driving car and offer companionship or perform basic Chores. What chore would you like a robot to do for you, Matt? Mow the lawn. Mow the lawn. They have those robots. <gasps> Discipline my children. There you go. Domestic chores. Fold the socks. Yeah, probably laundry would be good, too. I find, spent, find the sock. <gasps> I found one behind the, the washing machine.
4: How great when you could say, robot, here is what, this is what the other one looks like. Find me that other sock. Huh. The next thing you know, it's like gnawing on your
5: son's ankle. <laughs> <laughs> Just his right ankle. Yeah. I mean, Alexa. Alexa. If Stop
6: gnawing on my son's ankle.
5: If it's if an, if it, the sock is caught inside a shirt or a pant leg, that'd be oh, yeah. kind of dangerous. You may want to put in some uh, <laughs> parameters there.
4: I don't know that I want all these robots around.
5: Yeah, probably not. But, you know, might as well. I mean. People are just sitting around with nothing to do, so but, make robots. Oh, I'm so mad because I live at this time
4: when I'm the one that has to educate my robot. Mm. In
5: 50 years, the robot will
4: come educated.
5: That's right. And we'll be
6: educating
0: the kids. Blasted! I know. What are you
5: do? Finally, Dylan McWilliams doesn't believe that oh, uh, the old saying about lightning never strikes twice. Uh-oh. Uh, not after he was attacked on by a shark Thursday in the waters off Kauai, Hawaii, less than a year after he was mauled by and dragged by a black bear in the wilds <laughs> of Colorado, and certainly not after he was bitten by a rattlesnake in Utah a little over three years ago. Okay, this guy's what? got a problem. He, he loves the outdoors. Here, kitty, he, kitty, uh, kitty, kitty, He's a former tree trimmer, ranch hand, survival training instructor who loves extended journeys in the wilderness. And he's continually getting attacked by animals and keeps going out there. Hey, Mom, look at that hose.
4: <laughs> Honey, that's a
0: snake.
5: <laughs> so, snake in Utah, bear in Colorado, and now a shark in Hawaii. Yeah. I wouldn't, I go I wouldn't even
0: go to a petting zoo at that point. This guy is, I mean,
4: that can't be possible, can it? Who gets in that much trouble? I
0: mean, I don't mind that it's happening to him instead of me. You know, if the statistics right. have to be divided,
4: but don't date that guy. Distributed
0: somewhere, yeah. That no. guy's
4: a train wreck.
0: Absolutely not.
4: Do you want to go watch the sunset on the top of that mountain? No. No, I don't. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what it is. I just don't feel safe with you. Anyway, thank heaven. See, one of the good things about the show is you get to see that it could be worse.
0: Yeah, we learned some Spanish today. Yeah.
4: Some uh, uh, Actually, it wasn't Spanish. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. It was just, I guess it's. it was Native American, Maricopa. Oh, that's right. (sighs) But we did learn that mariposa is a butterfly. That's true.
0: Yeah. So now we're trilingual.
4: That's why I've got to use my language more. Hey, up next, we're going to talk about why we don't ask for help from our coworkers. They're right there. And because we don't ask, it actually may impact us and our excitement about working. And we may work longer because we don't ask for help. So uh, how we can break that uh, barrier and start asking for help straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. All of us find it difficult to ask for help. Sometimes, maybe it's because we don't trust a coworker, or perhaps we are just trying to be more self-reliant. We don't want to look like we need help. Whatever the reason, studies have shown that when we don't ask for help uh, from others. Um, that, uh, that not only our performance will suffer, but our team performance suffers as well. So here to speak with us about this today is uh, Mark Bolino. He's a professor at the University of Oklahoma, and he specializes in organizational behavior, international business, and human resources management. Uh, Dr. Bolino, thank you so much for being with us today.
3: Good to be here, Matt. Nice to talk to you.
4: You bet. Why, what is it about us? Why won't we just ask for help you know, at work, when we when we have too much work to do.
3: Well, I think when we are in these situations at work, we're very conscious about how we look to others, how we're going to look to our coworkers, how we're going to look to our boss, and so I think some of that is is behind it. Um, but but really, when we need help, we start asking a lot of questions about. You know why is it that I need help? Is it that this is too difficult for me? Is this um, you know something that I don't have the skills to do, or you know maybe it's a legitimate reason? We start going through all of these you know processes in our mind about our image, about what it says about us, about what it says about others, and I think that's where we get sort of sort of caught up.
4: Mm. Is it is this self imposed? I mean, is this something we've learned not to do because of how we've been managed? How we How we've kind of grown up in the company, or or is it is it or is it so has it been imposed by the company and the systems and the organization, or is it me just being insecure about me?
3: Well, it's probably a combination of those things. Honestly, Um, I'm not sure we know definitively what the what the causes are. If you look at sort of the basic uh, research in social psychology, we people just have a sort of a a fundamental apprehension about being helped. It it raises these questions about our competence. It raises questions about, are we going to have to return the favor? And and psychologically, we don't like to be uh, sort of constrained in our behavior. And so if you help me, that means the norm of reciprocity says, I'm going to help you in return. And so, you know, there's something about that um, where I don't want to have to be, you know, hemmed in in that way. So, There's a there's sort of a fundamental psychology behind it, but then yes, the the organization that we're in and the you know the expectations that the boss sets in terms of whether it's good to be helping others and to be receiving help, those also shape you know our decisions. We take all of that into account.
4: Does um, because it seems like if I if I choose to work alone and not work um, with others, then I probably have to work longer. So is this one of the reasons why we are working so
3: much longer? Well, sure. I would say that, you know, that can contribute to it, right? Um, You know, we just did a a recent study looking at sort of the implications of, of, uh, of not accepting help or about having negative beliefs about accepting help from other people. And one of the things that people said was, you know, even if I'm drowning in my work, I would be you know I would rather work on it myself and get it done, and so you know i I think there are people you know the reluctance to accept help from other people or to ask for help when they need it is contributing to this sort of overload and burnout and that sort of thing
4: what What else do you see happening because uh, we're unwilling to ask or unable to ask how is it impacting our work
3: life well you know, again, this, the, this study that we did recently, we were looking at these beliefs about, you know, sort of negative beliefs that people had about accepting help. And one of the things that we found was that people that had these more negative beliefs about accepting help, you know, their job performance was systematically lower in terms of their, uh, what they did formally, their, you know, their formally assigned tasks. It also undermined their willingness to help other people and be cooperative and sort of go the extra mile, uh, and perhaps that is because they're uh, they're too busy themselves to to sort of give extra, or um, or maybe it's because they're not receiving help, they don't feel like they have to. We weren't able to, to tease that apart, but but they were less creative because they're sort of in their own little world, perhaps, um, you know. So it 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 affected their. Job performance negatively. It also affected uh, their work attitudes. They were less less satisfied and uh, more likely to be thinking about uh, leaving the organization. Um, and and really, they were see, seen less favorably by their supervisors. So uh, even though they sort of there's sort of this idea that if I'm refusing help or or, or not accepting help. That that somehow that's going to make me look self-sufficient and more competent, it, you know. At least our preliminary data suggests that supervisors had more favorable views of the employees who were more engaged in in helping and and receiving help and that that
4: sort of thing. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? So so those that aren't willing to get as much help um, or help others or have just negative attitudes about it they're they're less creative, they're less satisfied and they're actually less appreciated, less liked. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
3: yeah. 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 Yeah, so, so I think sometimes people are you know, we we found that one of the big reasons why people were reluctant to accept help was that they thought it was going to sort of undermine their image at work, you know, that they were someone who needed help or couldn't get it done on their own and really our findings sort of suggest the opposite that it was you know people who who were willing to to accept help uh, that those people were seen more favorably by supervisors than people who had sort of these these negative attitudes about about being helped
5: yes. and we we know
3: from other studies that being helpful at work is is generally seen positively by supervisors too so um, you, you know helping behavior is important for a collaborative environment, which uh, clearly organizations are, and so if you're if you're not willing to engage in that sort of behavior, uh, both giving it and receiving it, then it probably is going to reflect poorly on you.
4: Mm. Did you do you have any idea of the percentage of people that have kind of those negative paradigms around helping, receiving, and giving help? Is it a yeah, so is it a big we, percentage? It,
3: it, well, we when we looked at um, at some of our data, we had about half our respondents sort of agreed with this idea that if you accept help, somehow it undermines your competence. Um, and, and then we had we, there were there were a couple other reasons that we found that people were reluctant. About twenty percent said that they were reluctant to to accept help because they didn't want to feel obligated. They thought if they they accepted the help, then that they would be Obligated to return the favor, um, and then we also found a smaller percentage, like eight to ten percent, had misgivings about their coworkers' intentions, about why they're helping them. Are they somehow trying to make them look uh, bad for needing the help, or you know that they had some sort of ulterior motive, or that the coworkers were just you know not very competent? Um, but those were a smaller percentage of people.
4: Interesting. So it's, it's almost like we're a little neurotic. We're, we're a little um, worried that either they're out to get us. They, they obviously can't do it as well as we can. I don't want to owe you anything. Um, but in the end, all of these paradigms, all of these attitudes make it so others actually trust us less, want to do, do less with us and don't necessarily promote us or managers don't necessarily revere us
3: sure yeah and 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 we don't know for you, you know we weren't able to tease out specifically how you, you know why people have these particular beliefs or um and and as you mentioned earlier you, you know some of this could be because of the organizational context i mean yeah. you may be in an organizational setting where you are the most competent person and so accepting help from people you know could slow you down or Happen to work for a, a supervisor who's, you know, who does uh, sort of promote a lot of individuality in the workplace, and so maybe it is going to make you look badly. So we we don't we're not able to sort of evaluate whether these were legitimate uh, negative beliefs that people were harboring, but um, but they held these beliefs.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, as you as you look at it in the research uh, too, I mean, it seems like. In in the end, organizationally, we probably need to figure out a way to to foster more interdependence, more cooperation, more team building. What are some of your your suggestions there?
3: Well, I, I think I think we have to recognize that you know I, I guess as you were saying that people are are sort of neurotic about all of these all of these issues, and so we need to to maybe confront them head on and, and sort of realize that people are going to maybe have this natural tendency to be reluctant to accept help and so that means as as managers and and you know as as employees that we wanna we want to try and say hey you know we're we're all interdependent here we're all working collectively towards a goal and and it doesn't make sense for us to sort of be you know individual operators you know that and, and and sit down with, with employees and say, you know, do you need help or, um, you know, make it more acceptable for people to help one another and to, to make time for that. Maybe recognize those efforts in sort of positive ways when people are willing to ask for help and, you know, sort of praise people for being willing to ask for help and uh, for being willing to accept help, you, you know, making those norms, um, Different in, in terms of the acceptability, I think would address some of these concerns that people have in the back of their minds. Um, we want to we want to think about what those concerns are, and then you know sort of address them.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And um, I mean, even incentivizing it, like you were saying, holding holding the cooperative person up as a star, right? The instead exactly. of instead of holding the independent individual up as the star.
3: Yeah, and and I think there's a you know there's a fine line. Um, You know, some of my research is looking at what makes employees willing to go beyond the call of duty in different ways, helping others, staying late, things like that. And and a lot of times when you talk to managers, what they want to do is, is sort of say, oh, okay, well, if you want more of that, we'll just pay them for it, right? So when I hear the word incentivize, I get a little bit nervous because part of what makes this behavior so valuable is that it's not really... Formally required, you know we want we, we don 't want to turn all of this stuff into you have to do this because it 's part of your job right you, you want it to sort of occur naturally so it, it 's sort of getting a balance, so incentivizing it in in the sense of um, making it acceptable, holding those people out as as model employees. I like that idea um, if we 're talking about sort of uh, formally incentivizing with with bonuses and things like that, putting it in people's performance evaluations, I I might be a little bit more cautious about, you know, thinking about the costs and benefits of, of doing that.
4: Right. I guess, too, we look at it, um, I mean, we, we hold up our long hours and our incredible work ethic and um, stick to as these signs that we're really great, but then in the end we end up working such long hours and taking work home how awesome would it be if our work allowed it that we were kind of our goal was to complete a lot more as a team and you know we all could help each other and we all go home a little earlier
3: yeah yeah i i think that you, you know it's it's not sustainable for most people to to sort of keep you know doing more and more and more and that's what's happening a lot in in organizations today is um, you know, people are taking on more than they can handle, um, and, and they're getting it done sometimes, but, but sort of at what cost, you, you know, especially personally in terms of your health and your family, that sort of thing.
4: Right. We're speaking with uh, Dr. Mark Bolino. He is a professor at the University of Oklahoma and is at, uh, at the Price College of Business at the University of Oklahoma and specializes in organizational behavior, international business, and human resource management. Is I mean I guess some of this um it, it almost seems like we we're moving into a new era a new a new time where um at some point we've got to I guess manage our efficiencies a little bit better and I I don't I I guess I'm just trying to figure out how we how we teach this and so because there is such an independent culture in our workplace that I want to I want to look good, and if I'm always competing against the person next to me, then it actually there is a disincentive. It seems like to cooperate.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I, I think a lot of organizations have sort of set that up where you, you know you you sort of see the more you can do that, that's kind of your pathway up the up the you know up the career ladder, um, and. You know, in the short term, I think for a lot of organizations, you know, they see that as sort of a positive. And, and I think I'm concerned in my research about, you know, how sustainable is that? You know, we, I talk about these behaviors, um, we call them citizenship behaviors, these sort of extra things that people do that contribute to the organization. Mm-hmm. And I've done some research on something I call citizenship fatigue, which is where, eventually people start getting tired of being the person who's taking on all of these extra things and what we found is that when people reach that point they start cutting back on their citizenship. It's just not a sustainable um, you know a sustainable sort of thing. So you know one thing I think that a lot of companies can think about is how can I increase the engagement of other people in the organization because that's another thing that we see if you look at sort of those Gallup studies where they look at how engaged people are right. it's only about a third of workers who say that they are engaged and then there's probably like um eighteen percent or so that are that are disengaged and then there's a group that's sort of in the middle, they're they're not highly engaged, they're just sort of going through the motions at work. Well, I think a lot of the burden is falling on that third. you, you know, there's yeah. people who are engaged Keep having to do more and more and more because you have so many people who are not very engaged or even actively disengaged, sort of pulling against what the company is trying to do. And so, if you could if you could increase the levels of engagement among those people who aren't really turned on at work and and are are sort of disgruntled at work, then I think you could take the burden off of that third that is, you know, highly motivated.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
3: That motivation you know, indefinitely.
4: And especially when we um, sit there and we spend uh, all of this other time trying to be a good citizen and then I'm the only one in the room doing it, man, no wonder. Then you lose your good third. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Then your good third.
4: I mean, that's a scary day when the good third's exhausted.
3: And and in fact, that was one of the things that we found was, you, you know, people didn't mind going the extra mile as much when they felt like they were really part of a team where where they knew that other people would sort of be reciprocating that behavior. Right. Well, you know, so it is just like you're saying, the findings bear that out, that it's it's worse when you feel like you're the only one yeah. who's sort of going the extra mile.
4: Oh, that's intense. That's a scary day. Uh, Professor Mark Bolino. thank you so much. For your insight, uh, great insight into why we don 't let coworkers help us uh, more uh, um, you know insights really, then every one of us need to pick up our game. we need to ask help when we need it. we need to to push cooperative behavior and more interdependence in our own workplace and allow people to help, uh, so that becomes the norm and uh, we 'll keep giving you the ideas, the tools you need to uh, make your workplace a place you really want to be engaged in. And you can also go look up more Mark Bolino from the University of Oklahoma to find out uh, more of his writings as well. We'll continue the journey a little Coach's Corner straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back friends. So you and the you and your spouse, do you do you share a lot of fun activities together? Do you have a lot of hobbies, toys and leisure time where you two connect or do you end up tuning out each other and turning away from each other during those times. I wanted to uh, continue uh, a discussion about what are some things we can do to make sure that we actually share hobbies and, and have some some more fun activities together that bring us together. Uh, one of the things that I found, a lot of the clients I work with, They might, one of the partners may have a hobby that the other doesn't participate in. And it seems like that hobby ends up dividing them and that division makes it so they never seem like they can do anything. One might be, you know, a cyclist. And so they're always out cycling and doing their 100-mile cycle trips every weekend. So one of the rules I teach is that we need to energize what you can do together, not what you can't. Energy at times is scarce, so protect it, right? And uh, do some things that – and at least identify what you do like doing. Start spending a little more time in your life, in your conversations, talking about what you do like to do together, what does work. If you like going out to dinner, then make that an actual hobby. Become foodies. Get into the food – You know, get into it, but do it as something that we can do together instead of obsessing about the one thing your partner does that they do without you. If your partner goes hunting, you can obsess till you die about the fact that that's all he likes to do. I lose him all October as he goes hunting. But the reality is there also are another 11 months that you do a lot of other things. So start building uh, a really strong list of stuff that you do like to do together, Um, things that are positive. Uh, Find out, uh, you know, you, you may not go hunting with him, but you might go up to the camp where they hunt. And you might go, you know, have a fun time hanging out with a bunch of people up there. It might be that you don't like necessarily hunting, but you like being outdoors. And it might not be that you even like being outdoors, but you like the memories of family gathering and, and you know, getting your family ready to, to send out to go to, to go do some of these activities. Another thing you could do is start stretching your marriage by trying new things together. There is some pretty interesting research about the fact that if I do something crazy and energetic, if I jump uh, off with a bungee cord off of a bridge and I do that with my spouse, that's going to create some pretty amazing new chemistry for me, but my body will actually attribute it to the people I'm with. And so that is a simple way to bond myself a little bit closer to others is by trying some new things. A lot of us are so rigid in our minds about what we will do and what we won't do that we don't try something new. We don't, we don't engage in other activities. Try something. I remember trying to talk some friends into trying sushi, and now I can't get them to stop eating sushi. Every time we go out with them, all they want is sushi. But something as simple as that could be a, a really interesting new thing that you end up growing together. Remember, too, that you don't need to like something to do it. Uh, A lot of us are in this idea that, you know, life is short, so we need to do exactly what we like to do. But sometimes uh, I like doing things just because the people I'm with like doing it. I may not even participate, but I'll go along and um, I I can thoroughly enjoy sitting there watching my granddaughter look at a llama for the 50th time and I'm good with it. Let's just do that. So remember, sometimes it might even enhance your, your ability to get close to somebody simply because we are doing something just simply for them. A lot of the hardest things in the world, like going to school, eating healthy food, sometimes exercising, practicing piano or whatever, taking your medicine, it's hard. But we do it because it's good for us. And also, by the way, once you start doing something consistently enough, whether you like it or not, you usually become pretty good at it. Another thing is to find the joy in the being of the activity, not the doing. There is a lot of joy in being together, being supportive, being happy, being selfless, being unified. And a lot of those things are more valuable to us in the end than the doing of an activity. So remember that just being a human being is our goal, right? We want to be being um, involved, being active, being together instead of just human doings that are out there doing stuff day in and day out. So remember, basic stuff. Find the joy in the being, not the doing. Remember, you don't need to like it to do it. Uh, Try some new things together. Stretch your marriage a little bit by doing something different and energize what you can do together, not just what you can't. Little coach's corner for you. You know, just ideas, folks. You don't have to do them. You can keep just doing what you're doing. We're here, though, to give you the tools, the information you need to live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Kimberly Giles is the president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching. She's a regular guest on our program. And a few months back, she joins the show to share some strategies on how to change yourself and how to change others. I began the discussion by asking for more tips on how to change yourself uh, first and then others.
6: So if we're changing out of guilt or obligation or because we feel forced to by someone else, the change isn't going to be as positive and it may not even happen. You've got to have the right why that you're changing and it really needs to be a love and passion motivated reason. So, I I really have my clients sit down and define, why do I want to change? Yeah. Is it just so my wife won't leave me? Or do I want to be different? Do I want to be happier? What's the real Cause reason? Cuz if it's the negative it may not
4: stick. Like I don't I want to change cuz I don't want my kids to grow up with a bad dad.
6: That's yeah.
4: different than because I, be I want to be a powerful source. I want a life.
6: I want to be a good influence yeah. on my kids. I want, yeah. If it's driven more by passion and love, you'll, you will be more motivated. Mm-hmm. If it's obligation, which is really what's happening if your wife says change or I'm leaving you,
0: <laughs>
6: <laughs> it's just not got the same power it behind doesn't. it and it won't happen. Well, and
4: then it almost just would breed fear, right? So then every iteration of it is going to kind of take you back to the same fear.
6: Yeah. And it comes down to you. It's. You don't want to change. Yeah. You're doing it because you feel like you have yeah, to. Yeah, I'm
4: totally good with you. Me. <laughs> won't
6: be motivated unless you want to change. It's so true. You know, we see that with just diet and exercise. Yeah. If you're doing it because you should, you won't do it. Uh-huh. You've got to do stick. it because you want this, and you got to want it bad.
4: It's so true.
6: So Man. check your motivation. Yeah. Um, my last one was just don't expect perfection because. What? Change is a process and it takes time. And any time you're trying to change, especially subconscious programming, things you learn from your parents to behave this way and you've behaved this way for 40 years, it's not going to change overnight. This is going to be a process. So give yourself some slack.
4: Well, and every step matters, right? So because the change isn't one to 100, it's if you just go from one to 1.4, That one, that point four increase matters.
6: Absolutely, it's a
4: layer that is yours now. You now own that point four increase. If you just get to two, that's great. You own the two. You own the one point increase from one to two. It is progress. And every one of it, it's like otherwise you'll build something that has some big inflated bubble in it that will collapse on you eventually. It's just line upon line.
6: Absolutely. Well, you and I were talking on the break about the four stages of change, and it's really helped. My clients and coaches to kind of understand these. So the first level is unconsciously incompetent, and this is where most of us are. In that we're behaving badly, but we're not really aware of yeah. it or why. It's just our programming. Things
4: just are weird. Yeah, you don't even know why. I mean, it's probably them.
6: But we're functioning from that ninety-five yeah. percent of our choices being unconscious.
4: You're not. It's not. You're not in charge of it. You don't understand it, and you're incompetent.
6: Yeah, behaving badly. And Which isn't a bad place to be. You think that's just normal. Yeah,
4: I mean, it's kind of nice because you're naive. You're ignorant.
6: You think it's okay that you're <laughs> this way, <laughs> yeah. but it's really not.
4: Exactly. So
6: the first step in changing is to become consciously incompetent. Now, this is where we've explained to you why you're behaving this way and what you're doing and how it's not working. And you're working on it, but you really... You're still behaving badly. Yeah. But now you see it. Ugh. And for most of my clients, this is the most painful oh, yeah. stage. People,
4: ignorance Terrible. is better. <laughs> That's what people think. Ignorance is better than me now knowing.
6: Yeah. So we teach them how to communicate properly with your spouse. And they keep fighting. And they forget to use the formula that we've yeah. taught them. And then they realize it. And they feel like a failure. This stage can be painful. But it's a necessary part of the process of change. You have to move through this stage. mm mm-hmm. And so, what we're going to do as we move through is to just keep practicing and doing the best you can. And, like you said, a little improvement here and a little there, the change will come. Yeah. And we're moving towards stage three, which is consciously competent. Now, this is, I'm actually handling the argument with my husband the right way. I'm using the formula, but it is taking a great deal of effort. It's hard. Run through discipline. those stages, yeah. Matt taught me. That's here. right.
4: Stick to it, stick to it. Discipline, discipline. It still might go sideways, but it's okay. You know why and you know what to do.
6: But you're at least having more successes that you're doing it. It's just taking so much effort. Yeah. But the more that you do that, the easier it gets and pretty soon you find yourself unconsciously competent. And what's happened is this new way of being has become your autopilot. It's now who you are to communicate that way. And this whole process may take years to go through. Yeah. But it's really the only way. You have to go through those steps.
2: And,
4: and some people could be like – my wife was born in a way with unconscious competency in in like communicating. She just does it well.
6: Do you think her parents did it well yeah, so she I think, kind of yeah. learned it?
4: it she, she was just better at it and just like – she'll just take it on. She'll If there's a problem, let's just talk. She just would do it naturally but didn't know what she was doing.
6: Yeah, she you know what didn't I mean? have a formula to uh-huh. it. She wasn't following a plan. She must have had great parents yeah. that just
4: Yeah. And I think some of it, it just right. might be even her nature. But then there were times where she would be unconsciously incompetent. Like she she wouldn't know how good she is, but also times she wouldn't know when she just stepped on my toe. You know what I mean? About yeah. something emotionally. And then she, but when she did and I would, you know, have a problem, she'd just naturally go start working on fixing it. I just I'm amazed at her like, "Wow." How do you know that? Cuz yeah. I had to study it to get it.
6: Me too. And it's and it's There's a lot of people out there who are thinking I didn't have parents that knew how to communicate at all. Yeah. So I learned everything wrong, and it can feel kind of overwhelming. Right, right. I mean, we're talking about changing those ingrained patterns. It's it can be discouraging. But then
4: eventually you, you so you're you're just saying though, you can whatever level you are, start there, become aware. Start to figure it out, think it through, learn the skills, get the help,
6: get some help,
4: and then process, process, and eventually you can get to a point where it's just you. Yeah, You're competent. It is
6: gonna come, and we it's natural. It will. Uh-huh.
4: It, it really is, and some of it is just overriding your natural fight or flight. Your natural fight or flight is such a big deal with your relationships or your change or your fears that drive the fight or flight well
6: and i I find we're usually afraid of two things we're either afraid of failure that we're going to try to change but we won't be able to and it would just be safer to stay where we are than mm -hmm. to try and fail right so we we kind of hold back or we're afraid of success And this looks like I'm afraid that I will learn these things and then I'm going to have to be that mature and communicate on that high level the rest of my life. Uh, And I don't know if I can live up uh, to that.
0: I know. So it's
6: safer to just stay dysfunctional. Isn't it
4: funny? Because people think it's – I don't – oh, this takes forever. But it really doesn't. Once you're good at being effective and communicative and healthy, it goes faster. You don't have to hold a grudge for a week.
6: Don't you think it kind of it requires people though to trust us yeah. that you can change and that this works uh-huh. and you're going to get there? I'm, I always have people at the beginning that are just sure they're going to be our first failure, <laughs> and it won't work yeah, for them. But totally. I, I promise, yep. when you when you follow these steps and you get help from people that know what they're doing, anything can change. I'm sure oh, you've, yeah. oh, you've oh, seen miracles. people mm-hmm. that you do. Have you had people you've thought? Oh, oh I don't know. Maybe, all the time. Maybe like, they can Oh, here's
4: the one. Here's the one that will never get it. Oh, they got it. Even if they just – because I just found Even if they get half of it.
6: It makes a big difference. Yeah, they're
4: twice as good. Yeah. So it's just – you don't need to get everything even. Just get what you can and a little bit helps.
6: And you'd be surprised at how much easier changes than you think it's going to be if you follow these steps.
4: That was Kim Giles again from Clarity Point Coaching and uh, helping us all learn to change ourselves before we try to change everybody else in the world. It's just such a simpler approach, isn't it? Well, let's continue it more straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in in the world.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
2: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend.
2: Now
6: on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio.
4: Welcome back, friends, to hour number three of the fun and the program. Joined, of course, by uh, Terry and Becca. The gang is all here. Dr. Matt, your coach, your guide on the side. And today we'll be talking with our health evangelist. Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us. Uh, he's, he's the health prevent or the death preventer. He's mm. trying to stop us from dying, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, we all keep plugging along, doing what we can to make his job very difficult. So we'll be talking with Dr. Ron, plus our good friends from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. We'll do a hero, uh, of the day. We always like to end with the hero story because there's so many awesome heroes out there. And, uh, one of my heroes is, uh, currently fighting, um, uh Seth, sepsis in the hospital. President George Herbert Walker Bush is in the hospital in intensive care, apparently uh, talking uh, with uh, family now and is alert, but uh, suffering from an infection. So we wish him the best. Our prayers go out to him. He, remember last week he uh, buried his wife, Barbara Bush, and uh, since then has been suffering in, in uh, ill health. So we, we hope he's well. Um also uh speaking of um you know illness, this uh the president is putting together his first what do we call these big events, these the first state, state dinner, dinner
5: or state and you welcome ahead of state yeah. you have official like uh, sit down dinner and it's all yeah. protocol President
4: Emmanuel Macron yeah. and his wife. Not, not macaroon. And remember his wife was the one that President Trump made a comment about her health. Do you remember like he's like,
5: wow, you're really fit. You oh, that's that? right. That's right. Because she's actually older than the, than the president of France. Yeah. He married, I think she was like his school teacher or something. It's yeah, some weird thing. So no big deal.
4: Go on. Okay. No one's talking about that. But um, yeah, he made some interesting comment about, wow, you're really healthy. Yes. Like, do you run? Or I mean, he made something. You're fit. Wow. Look at that. Yikes.
5: Just kind of inappropriate <laughs> so to just like... sort of say that. <laughs> anywho so they yesterday they planted a tree yes as as both wives were i always enjoy the women in high heels trying to walk through like a lawn or yeah. grass it just doesn't seem to yeah. work well it is the worst you're more
4: aerating yeah than we used walking. to call it aeration
5: yeah we paid a kid the other day to do it but he didn't do it in heels oh okay yeah he had a machine melania looked like it's that moment where you realize you wore the wrong shoes yeah, but like what can you wear, boots? Well she has boots. She wore them to Houston. Yeah, but you don't I mean, wear boots out in this, in this Remember great when she got boat. on the plane with You'd heels have to go with the flats. and then Yeah. She got on the plane with heels and got off the plane in uh, like some hiking boots. Yeah, what's she wrong has with hiking that? boots. Yeah. Who doesn't? So that wouldn't go with the dress she was wearing. Though. So tonight's a, a big
4: party. Yes. Uh, no Democrats apparently are invited really. No, no press. Media. Yeah. So it's just
5: Republican – Several Republicans this morning have come out and said that he should have invited some Democrats. So this needs to be – the idea is it's a dinner honoring this yeah. honor, this guest, this high-level leader from another country, and you have a cross-section of government to greet him. Yeah. Instead, one party showing up. Yeah. The other one wasn't invited. You also have members of the media because that's recognized as a part of our democracy. Right. But you – know. Again –
4: we have a very divided democracy right now, yes, so um that's going to be going down, and that that means that now we're talking about the plates, the setup, apparently a lot of gold,
5: yeah. a lot of gold plates, a lot of gold, everything um I saw somewhere there were the Clinton China or something they're using. Oh cool, so I don't know what that means but like, I think every first
4: lady chooses a china set right i think
5: we're we're getting to royal wedding level of yeah. kookiness with the coverage of this dinner. This is a big deal. And we'll we know you de- love the Royals yeah. stuff. We'll find out designers and handbags later. Yeah. What kind of shoes people are wearing. That's <laughs> great. Okay. See, so this is,
4: again, the information you don't always get everywhere else. What other headlines should we be paying attention to?
5: Ronnie Jackson, President Trump's pick to lead the Department of Veteran Affairs, could have his nomination derailed over allegations surrounding his conduct, which is said to have created a, quote, hostile work environment for his colleagues. Sources said to be familiar with the Navy physician's conduct told CBS News the accusations against Jackson include excessive drinking on the job, and improperly dispensing medication, and one suggestion that the allegations surrounding him could sink his nomination. What? The Senate Affairs, uh, Veterans Affairs Committee is investigating the allegations, and it's unclear if the panel may postpone Jackson's confirmation hearings, which were scheduled for Wednesday. One of the people familiar with the probe said they started hearing the allegations circulating about Jackson in the last several days. Jackson is best known for his January press conference, in which he gave President Trump a clean bill of health. By .5 pounds or something, on the bmi scale
4: yeah i remember
5: that yeah but uh interesting so this handpicked now we kind of talked about the peter principle yesterday Yeah, the idea that you take somebody they're good in one job you put them try to put them in another job or put them in another job yeah and does that work this guy's good because he was the physician at the white house yeah and he gave a good press conference Right. That's, how, that's, what that's, they the fact, cited. that's what he said.
4: Is, yeah, he, he, he's, he really, he's really good at a press conference. So
5: go fix the VA. Yeah.
4: So he might be in trouble bit. We'll see. Okay.
5: Uh, other news, Facebook uh, says it was able to – I already put that one out there – where they removed all the ISIS content by just looking yeah. for it. No, but that's, what's amazing about that is Facebook has now learned that if
4: you search – On Facebook, you can find stuff on Facebook. Wow, it's
5: so easy. If you look for it, you can find it. And then you can, you know, what do you look like for white supremacy? No, no, no. They didn't mention any of that. This is just ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Yeah, yeah. So they'll get to the other stuff. They did not mention, and they had some reporting on quarterly reporting in the last few days, and this was part of it. And uh, they didn't mention any sort of white supremacist or any sort of hate speech. How about or suicide? Like that. Nothing like okay. that. No. They no. just talked about ISIS. So they're getting started. <laughs> it's, just, it's just underway. <laughs> the, the, just the phrasing of because they looked for it. Yeah. It's like, wow, oh, okay, good. good job. Good, good, good. YouTube had a similar situation. Right. They caught a bunch of videos by looking for you it. You know
4: what I have learned is I find a lot of things when I'm looking for them. Interesting. I know.
6: Well, and they say that you always find something in the last place you look. Yeah. If...
4: You're looking for it, yeah. And in Facebook's case, right. they're and on then the website. last thing,
5: yeah, then you'll find it when you're in the last place, yeah. Gas prices have risen this month. Have you noticed? Yes, it's kind of shocking. Yes, at times I'm kind of mad about it. And if they rise another dollar uh, five per gallon off their current marks, it would eat the disposable income gains of last year's tax cut legislation. Boy, Trump needs to do something about this. The national average now two seventy six a gallon, according to Gas Buddy, which is, of course, our one and only source for all gas knowledge. Which is close to the most recent high in the mid uh, twenty fifteen. So we haven't been this high in a little while. A $1 gain per gallon would represent a full return to the soaring prices of 2014, which the average price per gallon was 3.70 a gallon. Mm. From 2011 to mid-2014, prices were at this level. While a $1 increase would be required to cancel out the benefits for family of all income levels, lower-income family gains would be wiped out much more quickly. Yes. As the price raises. I'm, I'm oh. not liking this. No.
4: <laughs> I it's... mean, in fact, Utah is one of the top ten. Most expensive, some yeah, of them are saying,
5: and it's interesting because they refine most of the oil we use right here. It's so weird. We drive by them as we cough down the freeway. <laughs> uh, so, because we have our health evangelist. we have a little inver- inversion here. I have some uh, some food options that have been uh, revealed. Oh, others good. that are out there. Yeah. So, uh, Hershey Kisses—they uh-huh. they have a new flavor of Hawaii pineapple coconut. Well, so do you really want a Hawaii pineapple coconut kiss? I don't know. Maybe I need to try it. It's Hawaii pineapple coconut. I mean, I'd try that. M and M's has a orange vanilla cream flavor M M&M. and M. Mm. Some orange like a, like a cream sickle. Interesting, but it's M&M's not chocolate anymore chocolate. at that point. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if it's like white chocolate with the cream, but something's weird about that. Yeah, white little, chocolate isn't real. A Little odd. Yeah. Uh, baseball season just what uh, you don't call it kickoff because it's not. Uh, First pitch. First pitch. I'm not, I don't know what yeah. the the sports metaphor there would be, but they started the season. There's more food in yes, the ballpark. I love that. Texas Rangers have the triple B bacon. It's a triple B burger. It's bacon, brisket, and bologna on top of a with a bunch of barbecue sauce. Buh. Not a good. Lot of buh. Bacon, brisket, bologna. They have a Cheetos jalapeno bacon dog. <laughs> Hot dog wrapped in bacon, covered with Cheetos cheese sauce, topped with spicy jalapenos, and more Cheetos. And a defibrillator. Everybody gets a defibrillator. The Atlanta Braves have the Spectator. Okay, what is that? A jumbo potato stuffed with jalapeno cheddar sauce and then bacon wrapped. It's then topped with cheese, cream, scallions, and more jalapenos.
4: Wow, people are into jalapenos. Yeah, and wrapping stuff in bacon, too. Yeah.
5: I think the bacon is just to get those calories just high enough that it's obscene. Right. Because you could eat a potato, it's fine. And potatoes could be healthy. And uh, tonight, the state dinner... Yeah. I have the menu. Okay. Uh, I don't know half of the items That's, on the menu. I just want to hear you try to pronounce them. <laughs> the first course, goat cheese gatao, uh, G-A-T-E-A-U. Sure. Okay. Uh, tomato jam, buttermilk biscuit crumbles, young uh, variegated ver- lettuce. Hopefully it's not romaine because that'll kill you. Wow. That's it, the first course? That's the first course. The main course, rack of spring lamb, not fall lamb. Oh, I hate fall lamb. I heard lamb. fall lamb's kind of chewy. It's gamey. It's spring more lamb, gamey. Yeah. I like uh, spring lamb. Burnt chipolni? sub. I don't know. Subsuiz? I'm totally yeah. not. No. no, it's great. You're uh, doing ca- great. Carolina gold rice jambalaya, which I don't Ooh, know. Ooh, I love jambalaya, That though. does sound Do pretty good. Do you mix good. lamb, A something burnt that is unpronounceable and jambalaya. Is that a good mix? Absolutely. Is it
6: spring jambalaya?
5: No, it's just gold rice jambalaya from Carolina. (laughs) Dessert is a a nectarine tart with Mm. creme fresh ice cream. Ooh, yes. So, you know, just a light menu. So
4: this is the first First state dinner. dinner and not one cheeseburger
5: on the menu. No. What's the president going to eat? I don't know. What about the filet of fish he likes to throw down every once in a while? Yeah, spring, I love the Spring filet of fish mm.
0: That's the best one, yeah. yeah.
4: The Fall, the fall filet of fish Not so good. Yeah. <laughs> not so good. So there's the food. Well, okay. We'll find wow. out uh, from our next guest, Dr. Ron Hager, if, if that's uh, brain food or
5: not. I think the spectator is. The spe- Potatoes stuffed with jalapeno cheddar sauce and then wrapped in bacon. I think that now, would be cool. I'm sure that bacon food. is brain food. Okay.
4: We'll find out from the expert. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. if you've ever heard the saying, you are what you eat, then uh, this next segment is for you because our guest is Dr. Ron Hager. Ron's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences right here at Brigham Young University. And uh, is uh, one of his areas of interest is chronic disease prevention. We used to call him the di- the chronic disease preventer. And now we call him the health evangelist. Dr. Ron, thanks for being with us. It's good to be here. Oh, let's get the mic. There you go.
2: Oh, oh, now it's good to be now here. Now we can hear
4: Yeah. Now you finally are here. Yeah, get the mic on. So this uh, food for thought thing, um, it's your brain, it's an, it's a, it needs the right sources
2: of energy or... Or even fertilizer, you might say. Yeah. 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 That's kind of a, an interesting way to think about it. There are chemicals uh, that can be facilitated or, or, or not yeah. by the foods that you eat. And uh, those those foods, uh, I mean, really, the the body is a chemical machine, yeah. Right. So, the foods that you eat can affect uh, certain chemicals in the brain. One of which is uh, called BDNF or brain derived neurotrophic factor. It's a protein really? that, that's a growth factor. Yeah, and it actually facilitates uh, nerve cell growth and protection. Uh, and the foods that you eat can actually impact that Hmm. uh you know a lot of people think that uh the food you eat is mostly about sort of the the physical energy that you feel from it you know whether you feel fatigued or or energized you know that that it's more like just fuel for say your muscles right but uh, but your brain is is pretty metabolically active yeah you know and And, uh, and it
4: needs certain it needs fertilizer
2: yeah yeah in fact uh uh I, my wife asked me this morning, what are you talking about? I told her, and she sent me this little <clears throat> thing. It says, uh, your mind is a garden. Your thoughts are the seeds. You can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> and so, so the idea is that, you know, your thoughts are generated, you know, from your brain, from your mental capacity. And, uh, you know, and any, any garden, you know, needs fertilizer. Yeah. And if, you're, if, you're, if your brain is like a garden— uh then the foods you eat, uh, you know, can be like fertilizer that can help things grow or help things stay healthy, strong, mm-hmm. resist disease, uh, those kinds of things. So, yeah, so what you stick in your mouth kind of makes sense, right? I mean, you're a whole person. Right. You know, it, 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 a lot of people think that, you know, well, something might be heart healthy. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's kind of nice if it motivates you to do something a certain way. But if you think about it, the reality is whatever you stick in your mouth doesn't just it's, uh help or hurt go your right heart? To your heart, you yeah. know. Yeah, it it your your whole body is is part of who you are. That's so interesting. yeah. So so that's an yeah. interesting way to think about. It. So so when it comes to you know mental health, for example, depression is a big issue yeah. uh, nowadays. Depression prevalence is increasing across uh, eight, uh, all ages, basically, um, and 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 if you look at the evidence, just kind of from a you know, pull back away from it and look at the whole picture, uh, you can see that depression prevalence is rising. Uh, quality of diet is going down. Right. Now, now, that's a correlation, uh, not necessarily cause and effect, but there's actually some good research evidence that indicates that diet is related, you know, to diseases like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and we've talked about yeah, those right. things uh, on your show. Uh but uh, you know, there, there's a, one researcher out there, assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia University, Dr. Drew Ramsey. This is a quote from him: People who eat a lot of fast food uh, have about a 60 to 80 percent increased risk of developing depression. Really? So the amount, the the frequency with which you eat fast 60 food, 60 to
4: 80 percent.
2: Yeah. Uh, whereas those who eat what's called a Mediterranean diet, and that's basically just a diet that's Uh, high in whole grains, fruits, vegetables, uh, nuts, seeds, legumes, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, They have about a 40 to 50% reduced risk of developing depression.
4: That is amazing.
2: So how much fast food do you eat or how much fast food do people eat? Right. Um, There have actually been studies that have looked at fast food consumption frequency, Mm -hmm. like in terms of, you know, twice a week, five times a week, that kind of stuff, and – risk of diabetes, even risk of death. But there's also research out there to show that frequency of fast food consumption is related to uh, depression.
4: Interesting. Risk. I always thought of that as just the lifestyle you were living, right? You're running, you're, sure. you're not thinking about it, you don't have time, you're gaining weight. But but two, I didn't even think just of the pure chemistry around it too, though. I mean, this what's going in is going to impact your chemical balance as well.
2: Right. Now, there was another study published um, in a medical journal this was just in 2017 uh and uh, and this was a, a a a clinical study this was a uh an experimentally designed study which is which is kind of nice kind of you know it's a strong study design they assigned patients uh, who were suffering from either moderate you know to severe de- depression so they yeah. had they had been diagnosed as having depression uh to one of uh, two groups uh the intervention group included seven Nutritional consulting sessions, and the control group received non-nutritional social support during the same period. Right. So, one of the oftentimes used treatments for depression, more of a traditional treatment, there, there, are, there are certain therapies that include uh, antidepressant medications, but also uh, types of individual or group therapy, counseling, uh, and social support is a key in that. But in this particular instance, they used nutrition counseling. Oh, wow. And the intervention group was encouraged to follow a Mediterranean diet, which was rich in vegetables, fruits, and whole grains. There was some emphasis on oily fish. We'll talk a little bit about uh, DHA or omega-3 fish oils in just a minute. Uh, Raw, unsalted nuts and seeds and olive oil. That makes sense. You know, it's a Mediterranean diet, so olive oil would be good. Uh, And. Uh, the results indicated that about 30 percent of the participants in the dietary support group uh, were seen were, – were said to be in remission of major depression compared with only 8 percent of those in the social support group. Interesting. So a, so a, a, a dietary, dietary intervention – More valuable than even a, a social – As opposed to a traditional therapeutic approach. Wow. So just changing the stuff you put in your mouth significantly alleviated and, the symptoms of depression.
4: And you've talked on the show a million times about we're not necessarily marketed the healthy brain stuff. Right. We're marketed everything else. Right. And so,
2: um, but just to know that the diet matters. It it absolutely does, Matt. And people need to take a step back, like I said, use some common sense. Yeah. Own you know, your life. Yeah, own your life and say, is this is this really... What's optimal for me, and I honestly believe that that people already know. Yeah, you know, I, I I can't think of anybody really that you would go up to and say, "Do you think eating more versus less fruits and vegetables is good for your health?" And somebody says, "Well, I've never heard of such a thing." Wow, <laughs> thanks for informing me. I Get mean, out of here. I mean, this is kind of built into us. It's right. almost like an instinct, but because of marketing, advertising, uh, uh, other things related to the media. Uh, and, and just our culture, w- what we have become as a culture. Uh, you know, we, you, I, I heard you talking uh, just a little bit before I came on, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, foods you yeah. know, at, at the baseball at the games baseball and the park, stadiums yeah. and, and so forth. Well, uh, we, we, we're, we're not really programmed for that. I mean, genetically, those kinds of foods, <laughs> it, it's not—in other words, we don't respond well to those kinds of foods in terms of our health. Yeah. But— we have been sort of uh reprogrammed in terms of you know our brains almost being hijacked by these refined highly processed foods now there are there are foods that are good for your brain and then there are foods that make your brain feel good mm. you know almost like a drug right and and that's kind of what what's going on here but then you have withdrawal and you have Sure. You're numb and you – yeah. So it may
4: feel good for a minute, but you're going to pay for it long term, huh?
2: Yeah. I'd like to mention another study. This was published in Nutritional Science in uh, 2016. They gave five recommendations uh, that can be practical in terms of prevention of depression. Uh, they say follow traditional dietary patterns. Now, you have to be careful with the word traditional because yeah. you could say, well, this is – tradition oh. is the way I was raised. Chili dogs. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what you were raised <laughs> Our on. Our family but, loves but, that. but it means like a Mediterranean-style yeah. diet or a traditional Norwegian diet, which is high in uh, the fatty fishes, you know, which have, um, you know, the fish oils in them, or, or Japanese diets. Increase your consumption of fruits and vegetables – Legumes, which are certain kinds of beans, whole grain cereals, nuts and seeds, increased consumption of foods rich in omega-3 uh, fish oils or omega-3 fatty acids, they're yeah. called. But fish oil is one of that. So fish like salmon, tuna, and trout, those are, mm. those are good to eat. But there's also uh, some dairy sources and, and juice sources because they're fortified with, or, omega-3. with, with yeah. omega-3s. And then there are certain grains like flaxseed, walnuts, and pumpkin seeds that are high in omega-3s. Now you can also reduce unhealthy foods uh, or and and or replace them with nutritious foods. One right. of the things that's difficult for anybody is when they're trying to change something if they just eliminate it yeah. and don't fill the space, it's a lot more difficult than if you just swap something bad for something good. Right. Right. Yeah, so 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 that's that's kind of a key. And then of course, limit the processed your, your processed fast foods and and those kinds of things, you know. What about
4: the vitamin idea? You always and you'll clarify it. I know. Um I mean, we could buy omega-3 vitamins or whatever they are, sure. supplements.
2: Yeah, and and I don't have a problem with people who want to do supplements. There are obviously various qualities of supplements out there. I would do my research if I was going to do a supplement and try and take, you know, the the, the one that I that was best that I could afford. But really, for me, I like to say supplements are for people who refuse to eat the right foods. Yeah, the other foods. Yeah, because I honestly believe that that's the best way to do it. You're, you're never going to get uh, everything from a food, you know, in a supplement. Right. Because the supplements are 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 less than the whole. Yeah.
4: Right? Well, plus you also may justify eating junk food, but then I take yeah. supplements. Yeah. But yeah. if so, you're so eating okay. the food, then you're getting the supplement.
2: Yeah. Now, I, I want to mention, uh, you know, that there have been some studies done on that. And, um for example, you know, can you use supplements or exercise, for example, to offset, you know, the effects of, say, an unhealthy eating pattern? And there is actually some good evidence to support that. Really? Now, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that, and I always say that you can't justify a bad behavior with a good behavior. Yeah. You, you know, you can't say, uh, you know, well, I had a salad for lunch so I can have, you know, fast food for dinner. Right. Because then then everything's equal. It doesn't always work like that. There's a lot of research to show that that's true too. I, I like to use the analogy, you know, it's never okay to rob a bank even if you give half of your take to, you know, to charity <laughs> or, or something. Yeah. Right. Um, but but there, is, there is actually some good research to show, uh, and I, brought, I actually brought something in to – you know, I can mention that. Um, there was a, a, a study done published in um, Science, uh, which is a, you know, a well-respected uh, journal – and uh and they looked at uh the effects of uh, uh DHA ducosalhexionic acid or omega three fatty acids, plus exercise on certain aspects of brain plasticity. Now, yeah. Plasticity in the brain just means that the the neurons are able to adapt. Yeah. You know, that they can
4: Which means we can change, we can grow, we yeah, can Yeah,
2: yeah, you yeah, you can you can create new neural pathways, yeah. you can you can Create new memories, you know that kind of stuff. So, so, plasticity is a good thing, and they found that people on a on a DHA supplement, uh, you know, actually increase their learning ability uh, through both uh, this BDNF, this this protein I mentioned, brain derived neurotrophic factor. It's like a fertilizer for brain cells. Wow. Uh, that that they, they increase their learning ability through, uh, you know, that that BDNF function, as well as uh, what's called their spatial learning ability. So they have certain tests that people do, um, and and when they combine that with exercise, uh, that both of those actually increased even more. Wow! So exercise kind of augmented or you got a synergistic effect with healthy diet and exercise. Right now they did a second part of that where they looked at they they compared a control group to. Uh, what was called a high-fat, high-saturated suc- high fat, high sucrose or or, sugar. or refined sugar yeah. uh, consumption. And uh, the, the BDNF plasticity uh, or, or mediated plasticity went down and so did spatial learning ability
5: really?
2: when they were on that diet. But when they stayed on that diet but added exercise to it, uh, those things went back up. Oh, so, so there are some cases where you, you know, it, it, it's okay. Well, I'm not going to say it's okay, but there are instances where you can be doing something bad and something good, and then something good can help offset the effects of the something bad. Right. Uh, but obviously, that's you don't want to use that as a rationale, right, right or a right. justification, right? Um, uh, I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but there's one last study. Uh, that I'd like to mention uh, published in the British journal of psychiatry in 2004 uh showed that the the most consistent uh finding um for uh for worse outcomes of schizophrenia and depression yeah were with the highest refined sugar consumption <laughs> yeah and, oh. and and then in terms of depression yeah uh fish consumption yeah was significantly related to improved outcomes or lower, lower prevalence, prevalence. Of, of depression. And then uh, there's, a, there's a nice little correlation there. It's actually a very strong correlation. Uh, if, if they, they looked at countries and fish consumption per capita. Yeah. So how many uh, pounds of fish per person per year were eaten? And in Japan, they had the highest fish consumption. And they also had the lowest incidence of depression. Amazing. And the United States, uh, Germany, New Zealand, they were some of the highest uh, amounts of depression and the lowest amounts of fish consumption. And again, that's just a a correlation. Yeah. uh, But correlations are worth considering. Absolutely. Right? So if if we want to be healthier, we probably ought to
4: think more fish or at least the uh, omega-3s. Yeah. We need more omega-3 in our life. Yeah. And in our diet. Yeah. Uh, more fruits and vegetables, more of the Mediterranean kind of diets.
2: Yeah, and and that's just because of what's in those. Yeah, you know the 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 antioxidants and the Legumes, the, the, the flavonoids nuts, and those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah, but then there's also this idea of reducing some of the bad stuff. Yeah, that's too. probably so, it. So, so that, that that's the concept I like to put out there is you're not just eliminating things, but you're you're swapping bad things for good things. Well, and, right. Just the other day they asked, "So do you want
4: chicken, steak, or fish? Salmon?" For your dinner at this one event I'm going to. And right. I always think, well, of course, the steak. Right? Why wouldn't you? You're in America. Right. But really, you could just say salmon.
2: Yeah. 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 It's not a bad idea. But also, you know, looking for opportunities to eliminate, like, the trans fats, the saturated fats. Yeah. Uh, those kinds of things. Um, you know, it, that, there, there's there's some really good research done in both animals and in humans. Uh, they Oftentimes, they use rat models for these, yeah. these uh, cognitive studies. <laughs> right. Because um, – uh, because you can do things to rats that you can't do to humans, uh, but but high saturated fat diets actually promote cognitive decline and decreased functioning in your brain. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's and it's a it's a it's, it's a strong correlation. It's and, out there. That's yeah. real. Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. So 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 what you eat and and you know and like like I said we, we've supposedly talked about brain foods, but really what we're talking about are just Optimal foods, yeah, just foods that are best for you—the whole person. It's going to be good for your heart. It's going to be good for your brain. It's It's good good for your waistline. It's good good for your waistline.
4: It's yeah, yeah. It does a body good, all parts. Good stuff. Dr. Ron Hager's his name again. He's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences right here at Brigham Young University. Man, fun stuff. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. Time for a little empty news uh, with uh, who better than Terry South? Uh, who's
5: his news is never empty; it's really? always full. Okay, of it. I appreciate the compliment, if that's what it was. That that was a total compliment. Because then the question is, what's it full of? And it just keeps going on. Love, 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 and giving. A Florida woman received a surprise when she opened her mailbox over the weekend. Cheryl Casper opened up a letter from the county domestic animal services nuisance, or what for for uh, nuisance barking.
2: Oh, boy. So the
5: animal control is yeah. complaining about nuisance right. barking. I'm pretty upset because I'm looking at the potential of a $500 fine. What? That's kind of up there. The county wants me to come in with all the paperwork on the dogs. Casper plans to comply with the letter, but she said her Congo African gray parrot is the one behind all the barking, not her dogs. <laughs> her what, what would you name a parrot? Uh, I'd name it Quack. She named it Zazu. Oh, that's good. Which I believe oh, that's is a, a character yeah. from uh, one of the movies. Barking. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah, Zazu picked up on barking. Uh, he was looking for something to pick up next, and barking was the next natural thing, Casper said. The County Domestic Animal <laughs> Services issued Casper a letter over the weekend. We will send a letter out that uh, we'll get a complaint on in order to make the owner aware of a neighbor is disturbed and what's going on with their pet. If you get that letter, don't take offense. Just be a little more courteous next time around, they said. So. Well, it's a mix up, but you know, she has a barking parrot, which is I would just send the letter back saying, I don't even have a dog. I don't know what you're talking about. You sent this to the wrong homeowner.
4: Sorry. I mean, I have a bird named Zazu, named Zazu, but which is kind of a cool name for a parrot. He does bark a little bit. (laughs) What do you do to get your bird to quit barking? I mean, that's a problem. That's a rare problem. That
5: is. There's the clicking noise that that guy on that TV show makes. Yeah, maybe you work. need to. Maybe he's gonna. Yeah,
4: you're gonna have to train him to do something else.
5: A New Jersey high school mm-hmm. evacuated. One thousand five hundred staff and students had to be evacuated because the uh, the people in the lunchroom burnt a quiche. Oh. And it, it set off all the fire alarms. Now they had a drill. Travesty. They had a drill earlier that morning. Yeah. So everyone was like, okay, we had our drill. A quiche drill or and then a fire a, drill? It was just a fire drill. Okay. And at one o'clock in the afternoon, the fire alarm goes off again. Yeah. So they believed it to be real. Yeah. Everyone thought it was you know, serious. It got thing. out and then it was just a quiche. Man. Yeah. Real
4: men don't burn quiche. No. That's, I think
5: that's a saying. Who says that?
4: Um, I thought it was real men don't eat quiche. Oh, is it eat? No. Yeah. I thought it was burned. Well, they
6: don't eat it if they've burned it. <laughs>
4: Actually, real men do eat burnt quiche. Yeah, you just oh, cover it in
6: that ketchup.
5: It? Yeah. More ketchup. You just oh. taste it less. Ketchup gets rid of all burnt flavor. Uh University of Florida, their president on April Fool's Day, hmm. sent out a message to everyone on campus saying that uh they could pay off parking fines with food donations. Uh oh. Right? So he put was that out. that on... an April Fool's joke? Well he put it out on April Fool's. Everyone thought it was an April Fool's joke, but the following Friday he uh, notified everyone that nearly 2,000 people earned a uh, citation on campus and exchanged it for 9,455 food donations to the food pantry on campus. That's great. So it wasn't a joke. No, and apparently I don't know if it's ongoing, but we had um, we had the woman on about uh, food scholarships. Yeah, yeah, right. And she was talking about you know drives and there's people on campus. What a can- great idea! So you, that is awesome. Instead of paying for. You know, these, these fines, Give food that to the students. Many feel it. are just unfairly dropped on just unsuspecting yeah. students all over campus. Except, just
4: Well, they, I mean, they're fairly dropped on them because unfairly. they were parked
5: illegally. Right. Or or like yourself.
4: Yeah. I was parked
5: you, illegally. Were you?
4: Well, I just had bad luck. <laughs> wasn't there, Karma wasn't going with me, though. Did day. you
5: have your parking pass or.
4: Um, was your oh, car not in the system I, or how, how, how did yeah, that work? Yeah, for some reason – oh, I had my temporary license plate from my car I just purchased. That's that's what it was. And then that expired and then they busted
5: me. And, and they then could, they tased that, me, which I thought was excessive. A little extreme. They could have just – oh, this is – yeah. Tase it. They I, could have just had you just pay with food donations. Bring that's, in some I like food. that
4: idea a lot. And then it solves the problem. But unless they're using it to raise money. See, BYU doesn't – seem to use that money to, I mean, use it to raise money. They don't try to give you fines to make more money, but some places do.
0: I don't know if the students would agree with that.
4: Yeah. Well, but again, the students need to just be quiet. They
0: have a chip on their shoulder, (laughs) a little bitter.
4: Yeah. By the way, that is a part of the rite of passage of school, is you have to somehow fight the offices of fines and fees, and you have to just deal with that. That's part of growing up.
5: Is that what it is? Yeah. The ongoing struggle? I had that too, and I you know I made it through. A uh, northern Michigan resident had an unwanted encounter with an eight legged intruder earlier this month. Really? Their solution? A lobster? Eight legs. How many does a lobster? I don't know have? how many legs does a lobster but, have. But
4: okay, let's check this out. Okay.
5: So you have an eight legged intruder. It's a spider. Oh okay. So they called the police. Man. According to the police department, officers were dispatched to a home in a small northern Michigan city after the resident called 911 asking for assistance. Despite the caller's seriousness with the issue, the caller was quickly informed that killing a spider is not a police matter, and their calling 911 constitutes misuse of the emergency system. Ah. The caller was informed a further misuse would lead to arrest. Um, no word on if the arachnid was actually disposed of when the cops actually arrived at the house to talk about 911, not take care of the spider. Yeah. Uh, By the way, crabs and lobsters, 10 legs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently. Why do we eat things that crawl around on the bottom of the ocean and eat all the stuff that drops to the bottom? Well, because we like bottom feeders. Is that what it is? Okay. Uh It just seems like an odd choice for It seems
4: Yeah. It seems like you'd want the ones that float above all of the junk. The stuff. Yeah. But, no, we like to go down deep. And then what the we like dregs. to do is, yeah, we Co- like to go then break their little shells off their bodies. And cover them in butter. and well, then yeah.
0: This is why it's good to know which ones have eight and which ones yeah. have ten legs, Because if you get them confused, that's a very different meal.
4: It's such a good point. Such a good point, Becca. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show uh, at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. It's time, folks, to uh, shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jeremy. And let's find out what's coming up on their show today. Hello,
6: gentlemen. Man.
4: Hi, Matt. I'm sad. Ah, oh, don't be sad, Jeremy. Why? Well,
1: because I got an email about you. Oh, you and your
4: show. I know. We haven't even announced it.
1: <laughs> you really
4: haven't. Not, not to the listeners. <laughs>
1: So I was afraid of, was afraid of this. <laughs> well, then.
4: <laughs> but, but we'll announce it I, soon. So just know that there's an announcement coming up, folks. Yes. Listeners that, uh, yeah, we'll be talking about someday soon, very soon. But don't be sad. It's, it's actually good. It's, it's good because then I can do more work with your family.
7: Well, six hours of Matt Townsend every day is a lot. Yeah, to I think digest. you
4: should cut it down to three. Don't you think I should cut it down to three or even cut it down to one?
7: I mean, you really want to expand to six hours. Yeah, yeah
4: the I fact know.
1: that you're expa- Who? I'm sad that you're expanding. Three is a lot, but six, I know. They're just pushing me to I'm the like, edge here. The fact that Don Shaline wants a 10 hour show. I know. I know. And, <laughs> and at some point, that's 10 crazy. I'm like. And he
4: wants None, video. You're the boss,
1: but really, uh-huh.
4: he wants to turn it into a, a show like yours, where they they can look at me, and then then all of a sudden he's like, "But you're going to need to get lipo. You're going to need to get a lot of ab work done." And that's why
1: I'm sad. Like I just don't yeah. think it's going to work. You out. You could
4: imagine me doing <laughs> ab work. Yeah, it's, it's it's not a pretty sight. Hey, I wanted to ask you, Jerem, you uh, you had to, you had a pretty good seat last night to the jazz game.
1: Indeed. Unbelievable! Yeah, it was a it was a fun uh, fun experience, man. What a what a crazy environment, jazz fans. Uh, it's are Some of the best in the NBA, if not the best. Absolutely. And, uh Russell Westbrick showed up again. <laughs> oh,
7: he was fantastic. West Brick. Clank. But by the way, are you noticing
4: there's a lot of snippiness in the league uh, right now? Yes.
7: Yes, there is. Oh, and it, it makes was... the playoffs really compelling. It was yes. great. Like every time something happened, it was like, oh, yeah, let's go.
1: <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. No, I we know. We
7: need relationship help from you. I know.
1: I was going to
4: go down and do some intervention work. Hey, who's that guy, uh, Stevenson? What's, why, what's his deal with LeBron?
1: Lance Stevenson. They Lance have a history. Is he of, the, he's uh, the guy that blew in his ear. Yes, exactly.
4: That's enough to wig
7: anyone That's out. the most notable of their competitive past, like in terms of his antics. Yeah. jump ball. But he's done a Sunday lot of different things, and LeBron's okay with it. I mean, his, I think his comment was, Lance is just a competitor, and he's just a little bit dirty. He's and just
1: that, a that's dirty— That's kind of
7: what LeBron said he was about.
1: Really? (laughs) To be a great defender, you have to be a little... Yeah.
7: Bruce Bowen.
1: The rules are made for the offense.
7: Yeah. Even Michael Jordan. John Stockton. Like, the all-time steals leader. Like, if you ask opponents about them, it's like, oh, those guys are dirty. Like Ben Bagley. Gary Payton. Ben Bagley. Well...
1: Ben's a dirty volleyball player. Is he? (laughs) Word on the street. I don't even know how you do that in volleyball. Is he really?
4: Dirty. (laughs) Like, he sticks his foot under the net. All I know is,
1: I don't want to be... I don't want to be on Ben's uh, junior jazz team. He's <laughs> going to r- rip into me during a, <laughs> we're not yeah. executing the, no, totally. the triangle and yeah. two defense. Yeah,
4: he'll rip. Because I hear, I hear your meetings through the wall in my office, and they're intense. Ben's, You've
7: seen the movie Meet the Parents, right? Oh, yeah. Ben's the guy that spikes the ball ben, a la Ben Stiller <laughs> and breaks the opponent's nose.
4: Yeah, that's Ben.
1: Totally. But it's listen, just, the message is always clear. Totally. He wants that's to
7: always win. Always understood. He wants to win, baby. We're here win to at win. at all costs. I don't and, care uh, what it that's takes. That's not a BYU thing. We have the undercoat. Yeah,
4: that's a, good, that's a really good point. <laughs> really good point. So, guys, what's on your show today under the direction of Ben Bagley?
7: John Wilner of the Pac-12 Hotline. Willner? And from the San Jose Mercury News wrote an article yesterday essentially saying BYU football is the key to the Pac-12 making the college football playoff, or a significant key. Really? What in the world does that mean? Yeah. We're going to talk to him today good. and dive into that.
1: That's good. That's good. We ranked the 2018 BYU football schedule from hardest to easiest. Okay. Actually, easiest to hardest. And uh, what are the guaranteed wins on the schedule? We're going to tell you. Mm. We, di- we differ on both of those
7: things. I guarantee it. I don't guarantee it. Plus, which NCAA tournament basketball team did BYU convince to play in Provo next season? Ooh.
1: Uh, it could be a quad one, uh game. The RPI could be good for the selection Sunday at the team sheet. It could be a good ball game for the Cougars. <laughs> There's all these metrics involved in the men's really hoops good. now. It's just, what's your RPI and quad and where is it played? <laughs> it's just crazy. It's like it's like when you go get your physical and the
4: doctor's got all these TMI. BMI and TMI. Yeah.
1: yeah. All, yeah, all like, that stuff. Why are we talking about mass? Yeah.
4: <laughs> what What is that Body matter? mass index? Um, okay, so that's a good show so far. I mean, is that all you got? Do you need more? Well, I'm just wondering if there's. Also,
1: is, we ask. Is there a cherry on top here? Yes. Uh, we ask, what's the greatest piece of BYU Sports memorabilia that you have? <gasps>
7: Ooh. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's really good. Spawned by a tweet from one of our BYU Sports Nation followers. <laughs> really? Spawned? You like that use? Of, I don't like uh, that, that word. Bird? No, oh. find another word. Okay. Inspired. Inspired? Yeah, it might be better. <laughs> I mean, if you
4: just just think it through, yeah, <laughs> okay. it's a lot She's better. A
1: place of inspiration. Inspiración.
4: Well, guys, it's going to be a great show. I can already tell, and we love both of y'all. And I appreciate you giving me the best of luck on my new six hour show coming up. So. <laughs> Folks, we've got an announcement we'll be making in the next little while. But, uh, hey, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, so much uh, to cover. It's always fun to talk to those two because they we get to talk to them five minutes before they have to unleash the Kraken and then go be on the air for an hour. And they're on TV, so they have to look pretty, which is different than Becca and I because we're just left alone in a room. That's right. But, I mean, you look wonderful. I, oh, I I usually just veg and hang out and, you know, I'm all over the place. When I get
6: up at 530 in the morning, I give thanks every day that it's radio.
4: Yeah. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you're doing radio? Some of these people that have to do their hair and stuff. Hey, um, we, we always like to end the show with a hero story. So our hero today... Uh, is a man extends huge kindness to a mom of screaming kids after a stranger did the same for him. It was Jessica Rudine's first time flying with a toddler and a baby in tow, and if it had not been for a compassionate stranger seated seated next to her, it may have been a complete disaster. Due to unforeseen circumstances, Rudine was unable to breastfeed for uh, her four-month son, Before boarding the plane, and as the hungry infant started to scream in distress, the mother's three-year-old daughter named Caroline started to kick and cry about how she wanted to get off the plane. Ah. Thankfully, Rudine was fortunate enough to be seated next to a man named Todd. Todd reached for the baby and held him while I forced a seatbelt on Caroline, got her tablet, and started her movie. Once she was settled and relatively calm, he distracted her so that I could feed Alexander. Uh, During the flight, he colored and watched a movie with Caroline. He engaged in conversation, showed her all of the things outside the airplane window. And by the end of the flight, he was Caroline's best friend. I'm not sure if he caught the kiss she landed on his shoulder while they were uh, on their way uh, out of the plane. So anyway, Todd, you're the hero of the day for helping a mother um, just get through a flight. We've all been there. We've all seen those Moms struggling or dads struggling with their kids. And sometimes instead of just rolling your eyes, maybe what they need is just a little help and a little happiness. A smile here and there might go a long way. It's all it takes to be a hero, my friends. And that's uh, our show for today. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. BYU Sports Nation is up next.